0: Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. A practical show done by a practical guy that is me. This is episode 500B, the second half uh, of the uh, interviews, the six interviews that I put together. So these three guests coming up are Dr. John Adeen, John Payne from Suarez International, and Ben Branham from Modern Self-Protection. Once again, thank you. ...for giving me the opportunity to do 500 episodes. So in this second half, I'm going to do the same thing like I did the last time. I'm going to play all three interviews back-to-back. So I don't have a whole lot of interruption or zero interruption in between the two. So you can get a lot of material and get it quickly and not have to listen to a podcast that is too long. Let me give you a preview of what is coming up. Before I do that, Concealment Solutions is the sponsor of this program concealment solutions makers of fine terrific holsters i use a lot of them whether you want outside the waistband inside the waistband appendix carry check out concealment solutions at concealmentsolutions.com you get a 10 percent discount just for being a handgun world podcast listener and all you have to do is just use the coupon code handgun world at checkout make it all one word handgun world at checkout and you get 10% off your order so check them out again right away uh, at concealmentsolutions.com if you just got a new gun you need to get a good quality holster that it's not going to break the bank on you check it out at concealmentsolutions.com so coming up on april 1st i'm going to release episode 501 and my good friend carl wren Uh, at krtraining.com, I took three classes, it's either three or four, I can't remember, from Carl Uh, and his facility is only about like a little less than two hour drive from my house. Carl is an extremely knowledgeable guy and he did a guest host interview for me and he interviewed Paul Martin, who is really good with preparedness, basic preparedness. And of course, with this pandemic, uh, I think it's woken everybody up. You need to have at least some basic preparedness in place. Paul Martin is going to talk about that with Carl Wren. So I'll be posting that April 1st, maybe April 2nd, because I want to have this podcast out there for a few days for you guys to listen to before downloading it. But don't miss that one. That's going to be episode 501. I said I'm going to de- de- dedicate episodes 501 to 505 to survival, common sense, no tin foil hat preparations and survivalism and that's in Paul Martin I tell you what I'm going to listen to that interview a second time before I make it available to you because I have some good comments about it and actually some questions that I'm going to put out there and hopefully uh, Carl can get Paul to come back on afterwards and uh, and answer the questions I put out there you might have some questions as well if so email them to me and uh, email them or 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 Call in a voicemail, two one zero seven. 210-646-1727. And speaking of voicemails, there's a good one coming up. I've already got it downloaded, and that'll also be on episode 501. And I'll respond to that, 210-646-1727. So let's get started with Dr. John Dean. I asked him to come on the show. And talk about the role the doctors are playing out there right now. And some of the, you know, gun rights advocacy that he has uh, been doing. A new gun that he got and things like that. And just just some things that we should all be thinking about today. Most of you know that uh, Dr. Adin is very much a gun enthusiast. Uh, he's got more training hours than, than I've got. Far more. More than twice as many training hours maybe even almost three times as many training hours as as i do and it's just he's amazing uh, he's just a wealth of knowledge just an extreme wealth of knowledge and tomorrow which is going to be the uh i think it's going to be the 30th of march tomorrow uh, 29th of march excuse me dr dean myself and ben we're going to be talking about coronavirus and I'm going to ask uh, John to give his doctor's perspective of what's going on right now. So I'm not quite sure when I'm going to release that. What I might do is I might yeah, I might release that four or five days after episode 501. You guys are getting a lot of really good information in a short period of time, shorter than I normally do because of, of the crisis, the pandemic, and everything that's going on right now so again back to back first john adine then john payne from suarez international and then we're going to finish up the show with ben branham from modern self protection the introductory music for this by the way is from ozark revival check them out at ozarkrevival.com it's called you ain't getting my guns isn't that pretty uh pretty appropriate for today huh it always has been i've been using it for a few years but it's really appropriate now Check them out again, OzarkRevival.com. I'll have a link in the show notes and also for Concealment Solutions and also for everything else that we talk about on this podcast. So sit back, enjoy. We'll get started right now. Well, joining me on episode 500, another guest, a frequent guest on the Handgun World podcast, Dr. John Dean. John, welcome.
1: Hey, Bob. How you doing,
0: man? I, I'm fine. I, you know, I tell you, I've been working my tail off and also on these interviews for this episode. But it's good to have you. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you've been busy with work and with this. Yeah.
1: I've been busy fixing broken kids, so we're kind of in the same boat, I suspect.
0: <laughs> and we need to clarify that for people who don't know Dr. Adeen. You're a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, so... When you say broken kids for some people who might know you I wanted to clarify that.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally I mean broken.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's
1: what I mean. Literally broken.
0: Physically broken. During, yeah,
1: we're recording this during spring break
0: too, so we always make spring break jokes. Oh yeah, your your uh, activity, your your workload goes up during spring break, doesn't it? It depends on the weather. Yeah. Yeah, if the uh, weather's yeah. nice, they're they're out there bro- breaking bones.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Well I could not Spring break jokes Uh, That's the best part Oh so you got a spring break
0: You got a spring Here comes a spring break patient Here comes another one Yep Well John I wanted to start off by saying I couldn't do episode 500 Without bringing you on Because you've been one of the Major contributors over the years To this show And I get a lot of downloads When you're on So thank you very much
1: Oh it's my pleasure I'd love to come on I love You know me I like to talk It's (laughs) fun We have a good time
0: We do. We have a good time. So let's get started. Um, I sent you uh, kind of a a few agenda items, and one of them is, uh, we were talking a little bit offline, SIG guns. Some of the new SIG guns out there, and you got a new one, didn't you?
1: Yeah, in fact, I just picked it up like an hour ago. It's a uh, SIG Legion 320X5. Wow. And yeah. I got the Romeo 1 Pro Red Dot for it because oh, wow.
0: of, of my old crappy eyes. Yep, yep, you got to have that. That is, that's awesome. That is a, uh, that's just a really cool looking gun. I've never put one in my hands, but heard a lot of great things about it.
1: Yeah, they are weighty. Uh, I get, the they add, I think it's tungsten to the polymer of the grip module. And it uh, makes it pretty hefty. It feels like a steel gun. And I think that's done on purpose just to mitigate recoil and, and help with, uh, you know, just making it. It's a competition gun. It's designed for, you know, competition shooting.
0: So, uh, yeah, I'm going to do that AASA match this weekend, I think, with you guys. So Yeah, gonna you're going to have fun. The, you, this is going to be a perfect gun for that, John, because you got the optic on it. You got three 17-round magazines. And uh, you got a holster for
1: it? Uh, it won't take me very long to get one.
0: Yeah, and then what I know, about? I
1: know a place where I can get it the same day.
0: Ah, there you go. And some uh, you need some mag carriers too. Oh, I have mag carriers. I have plenty of mag okay, carriers. Okay, you got plenty of those. Those, those mag's are all the same size. That's just a cool looking gun, and uh, one of the cool things about it. You were right. Uh, I'm looking at the website. 43 Forty three and a half ounce gun. Yeah, it's 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 beefy. I mean, it's as heavy as my
1: two twenty six at least maybe heavier. I mean it's it's a bigger gun. I bet it's heavier
0: uh, than uh, your 226.
1: Yeah, probably is. Well, this the, the single action one with the red dot and all that as well, you know, we'll yeah. see. I'll, I'll have to pull them out together and take and heft them and see
0: who's got more weight. Yeah. But uh, it's got a cool uh, skeleton trigger, trigger on it too.
1: Yeah, it's got a flat trigger and with my short stubby fingers that helps. Yeah. Uh, I can I can reach the magazine release button easily the you know the the slide Lock button to drop the slide with my uh, with my left thumb, you know, when I get my grip, it all works great. So it's, it's in the similar position to the 226, a little bit further forward, but not much. Not like out where the Glock is, where I always trip it and
0: cause the slide to lock back. Yep, yep. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, uh, well, you and I are kind of becoming fans of SIG guns. I am. I tell you, I got a, a 365 uh, a few months ago, and that's about all I'm carrying now.
1: Yeah, I carry the XL, and you know, and I'm still waiting for my Romeo Zero Red Dot, which I ordered on October 24th, 2019. Wow! So how many months is that? You know, they, I, I talked to SIG and they only produce 300 a day. You know, oh, and wow! And their factory is out in Oregon. It's interesting how all the optics are built out in Oregon. You know, it's, you know like Loophole is built in Oregon too. There's a lot of optic companies out there.
0: Yeah. So, so, so they sure only produce like 300 a, a day, a day and think value. about it. If, they're, yeah. if they produce three hundred uh, of them a day and they're four months behind, they got a lot of orders. Yes, they do. They do have a lot.
1: <laughs> wow! And, and you know, and not only that, but you know, the um, the Hellcat also takes that 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 optic. Okay. It doesn't. You know, the Hellcat doesn't take the uh, Romeo One. It has to have the Romeo Zero. The footprint smaller. Oh. Okay. It's a smaller gun. It's narrower, and, and so the footprint they designed it so that that Romeo 0 would, would work with the Hellcat in addition to the 365 XL. Yeah, smart move. Yeah, the 365 cannot take an optic, but the 365 XL actually is all you need to do is take two screws out of this the, the slide, take the rear sight and the plate off, put the 365 0, on, I mean the uh, Romeo 0 on, tighten it down and you're good to go. Everything's and co-witnessed and so it's it's you know it's it's good and you know I I've, I've been carrying red dot guns for several years and You know, that extra advantage for me, it doesn't, you know, it helps me with visualizing the the target a little bit better. I put the red dot on the target, press the trigger, and boom. I don't have to focus on a front sight. My eyes don't do that very well anymore, unfortunately. So, yeah, I know. It's an advantage for the the aging eye. And so, Uh, all you people out there with over 50 disease, I know you need to uh, look at red dots and get training on it. You know, Bob and I took that class with – John Payne. With John Payne uh, several years ago, and ever since then, I've been carrying a red dot.
0: Yeah, that was and a great it, class.
1: Yeah, and I took another red dot class this past fall with um, Steve Fisher. So I've actually taken two red dot classes now. Oh, wow, okay, good. Yeah, so it's fun. Yeah, I, I, Bill Frady came down there, and so did Rob Morse, and a couple of a friend of mine from that lives in South Carolina came to that class. We had a good time.
0: Oh, that's fun. And I believe that John Payne, as far as international, he's got another red dot class coming up soon. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. So if you have a red dot and you haven't taken it, you should sign up for that class. I think that'll be
0: well worth your time. I think we learned a lot about running a red dot. We did. Uh, And I got to recommend, you know, anybody that is going to seriously carry a red dot. Um, you got got to take a class because it's a whole different animal using a gun with a red dot versus iron sights. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean you have to learn how to acquire the red dot. Part of it is your natu- excuse me <clears throat> your natural point of aim. For me, I started off with the glocks and I could never get the red dot to line up in the window initially. Uh, mm-hmm. it was just, my natural point was not right. When I did it with a sig, the red dot's right there. And so that change in grip angle was just enough to make it easy for me to pick up that red dot. Of course, you know, he teaches you look for your front sight because you're used to doing that anyway. And then the red dot's usually right there. Once you see your front sight, your red dot kind of magically appears.
0: Yeah. And I think the same thing is true with like a Smith & Wesson M&P and probably uh, some of the other guns that have a little bit more natural of a grip angle.
1: Yeah, I think that would probably, you know, again, you got to play with it. You know, that's the thing. You have to find what works for you. Um, you know, the Glock 17, the Glock 19, you know, they're, they're nice guns. They, they work well, but I can't use them with a red dot very well because of that, that, that natural point of aim issue where when I push the gun out, you know, the, the, the nose is high and the red dot's off the screen. Yeah. Well, I'm…
0: With the Sig, it's right there in the
1: middle of my screen every time I, I push the gun out.
0: And speaking of the Sigs, I'm becoming pretty impressed with their X series of pistols. I'm not uh, not a big fan of the just the regular 320s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've shot them a lot, but the 320 Xs or any of the X series, um, the comp, both the competition and the carry. And w- one thing that's intriguing out there is the 320 uh, X Compact. That seems like a a pretty cool pistol yeah
1: you know, this is an x5 so this is kind of goes yes. in that series and um, you know so I, I'm looking forward to uh, running it and seeing
0: running it hard and see how it how it performs I'm sure it'll be fine for you yeah I'm sure it will be <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, it's quite a gun so I'm looking forward to shooting with you and, and maybe giving that thing a, a test yeah, no. You're welcome to do
1: that. You and Ben both. I, mean, I
0: know Ben is interested in shooting it too. <laughs> yeah, and I—I got to say, you encouraged me uh, when when we met a little bit over Thanksgiving, uh, and I was telling you that uh, that I was going to get a P365. You encouraged me to to, to use the twelve round magazine, and it does make a big difference.
1: Yes, it does because there's less of that pinky overhang. Yep. Even though the ten rounder has a there's you know the flat version, and then there's one with a little shelf for your pinky. You still get. You have more weight. You have more. It's more balanced, um, and, and the three and this three sixty five XL is even better, in my in my book. That comes with it with a twelve round magazine. It's a twelve and fifteen, and uh, you know I, I like those twelve round magazines. They work great. They don't. You know they hide well and they they uh, they just give you
0: plenty of grip. Yeah. However, I wanted to get your opinion. So, so Singh has the XL, the 365 XL that's supposed oh. to be it's supposed to be an optics carry uh, concealed carry pistol, but you can't get an optic.
1: Yeah, it's still uh, still on wait. I ordered mine from Optics Planet on October 24th of yeah. 2019. I'm still
0: waiting. And no other I optic will a, work a 400 with it.
1: Uh, no, not really. I, I think there's there may be one other one. It may be like uh, the English. Uh, what is it? Uh, oh, I can't think of the name of it. But the footprint is small and narrow, so like the standard, like the Romeo uh, One optic, will not fit right. um, because of the narrower profile. And it's it's pre-drilled. And the other interesting thing is the screws are on the underside of the slide. So you you take the the uh, the plate with the rear sight off you put the romeo zero in and then you put this two screws up through the bottom of this the slide into the optic yeah. And the x this this x5 thing is the same way um you can see the two screws that you know i took the slide off to look at it and there's a plate that has the the rear sight on it you just take that off and there's a little dovetail in the back of that thing or you know the, the cutout for the for the as a rear rear sight so you've got a rear sight built into the optic so that uh, hopefully it'll co-witness. I haven't tried it yet, but it should b- probably be pretty close. I'm pretty sure they came up with that for a reason, and they put the heights at
0: the for like that for a reason. Yeah, and you got a fiber so. optic on the front, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you are co-witnessing, you're going to see that nice fiber optic through the glass. Yep. Plus your red dot. Yeah, that's going to be quite a setup. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be good. That's going to be really awesome. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about your experience at Florida Carry.
1: Okay, so I went down there. It was the weekend of February eighth, if I remember right, and so it was a kind of a combination camp out. and it was a uh, the Saturday was a uh, basically a bunch of speakers talking, you know, Second Amendment stuff. Yeah. So I flew in on Friday, and uh, Mike Pierworski picked me up. Mike is an uh, Armstrong radio guy, good friend. And uh, so we went out to the campsite and met up with a whole bunch of folks. You know, Rick Hector was there. Rob Morse was there. Nice. Um, a lot of the guys from Florida. Kerry, uh, you know, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm blanking. From Florida, Kerry? Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll think of it, uh, Kevin, Kevin. Kevin Sona. Kevin Sona. Kevin yep, Sona. There, yep, yeah. Uh, Kevin, Kevin invited yep. me a year before, a year ago, for this. It was right before they were going to have last year's one, and and so he invited me, and I said sure, I'd love to come. So, um, so I, I came, and you know we hung out, and we were, you know, drinking alcoholic beverages and smoking cigars, and then we uh, we all retired to our tents, and it was you know thirty four degrees, <laughs> freezing cold. Oh it my was goodness. Cold central florida in february that is cold
0: warm.
1: yeah it was it was cold but uh, we all managed to make it through the night and the next day we had the thing and i, I talked about uh what do you do when your doctor asks you if you own a gun and uh, that's especially pertinent in florida because they actually have had a law in 2011 it was called the firearms owners privacy act which actually disallowed doctors from asking you if you can own a gun unfortunately it was overturned in 2017 by the 11th circuit leaving just a few parts still intact like you couldn't be you know prejudiced you know they can't like not treat you if you don't answer the do you own a gun question
0: right they can't so, refuse you
1: exactly right and um and so the big the big take home on that one was uh, i actually talked about the um the questionnaire that david codria uh came up with and he did it with a um uh, retired uh, L.A. County Deputy Sheriff, who is also a um, risk management specialist, and uh, his name was uh, let's see, Joe Horn. Okay. Uh, and so, so this this thing is awesome. First thing it does is it asks the doctor, you know, do you, ha- you know, what what are your qualifications to counsel people on firearms? And uh, you know, and then they have to sign a thing that says. You know, I've studied all of the literature regarding firearm safety, including the the benefits of, of firearms usage. And that, the, you know, and and that also that then there's a liability portion to it that says, yes, and I have my insurance company does or does not cover me for giving this type of advice. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, uh, I have the assets to cover any liability issues. <laughs> oh, see. wow. And so, and so it, it makes the doctor really think, which I think is a good thing. And, and that's actually can be found.
0: Um, kind of scares the doctor a little bit, doesn't it?
1: Right, right. But you can find that on, on David Codrea's, um he did an article called – let's see. I'll find it here. Okay. I know it's here somewhere because I just looked at it.
0: And he, where, where did he uh, publish the article?
1: Right. Oh, oh, here it is, on AmmoLand. Pro Ammo gun man, owner okay. physician decried docs versus clock ruling February 22nd, 2017. Okay. But there's a, there's a link to that, uh, that that form, and I think it's fant- fantastic. So if, if your doctor is a jerk and, you know, you go to – say you're going to a new doctor, a new pediatrician, whatever, and uh, they in- insist on asking you about your guns, you can just pull out this form and say, well, doctor, please look at this form, and I want you to fill it out and sign it for me i need to know what your qualifications are and what your liability status is in case i follow your advice and i'm harmed by your advice yeah what are your firearms qualifications that's right and so that usually makes the doctor's face turn white and they they kind of shut shut up and move on (laughs) which is exactly what you need to do that's what you want yes because it's none of their business frankly and it's all done it's all done via a um You know, it's a push by the American Academy of Pediatrics and the AMA and and all these, you know, the the kind of the establishment uh, physician groups who have had a uh, thing against the Second Amendment since the late 1980s. They've been pushing this agenda, you know, the the left agenda, uh, including disarming, you know, patients and having people get rid of their guns instead of, you know, actually giving you true safety. In fact... I think California is passing a law that, that requires physicians to take some kind of gun safety class, but it's one of their classes, which is not going to teach anything no, about teach them. true gun safety. It's going to be gun propaganda.
0: Well, you know, so I wanted to ask you a question. So as a physician, which you are, and a well-accomplished uh, physician, so I- I've always wanted to get your opinion on this. What in the world does firearms ownership have to do with health care? W- what's the relation
1: well, what they're what they're saying is that you know firearms injuries are a public health issue. Yeah. Because as, as you know, the number of, of firearms deaths are just skyrocketing. Oh wait, they're not.
0: Oh they're yeah, going right. Down. Yes, they are.
1: Except in certain places, like in big big cities, where the where the left is running the show and they're not putting criminals in jail. You mean like Chicago? Yeah, like Chicago and Baltimore <laughs> yeah. and. and new orleans and all these if you look at the, the the cities with the highest murder rates they're all run by leftists mm, and, yeah.
2: uh, and
1: and and so and they even know that i mean the the, the 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 shootings and the murders happen in very small geographic areas within these cities so like down to blocks you know J- john lott has looked at all this stuff and he can tell you exactly which blocks where all the murders happen and instead and and the cops know who these people are but instead well, sure. of going after the, the the criminals, they're they're disarming you and me, and, and the reason for that is because you have to ask yourself, what do they want to do to us that we have to be disarmed?
0: Yeah, right. Ask yourself that. Ask yourself that question. Yeah, that's a scary they question want, to ask.
1: Yes, they want to take over your health care so that they can they can ration it and they can have their death panels. That's another thing with guns and 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 medicine, right? They have the the you know the death panels and they want to. You know, single payer system. Basically, the way they control costs is to, is to um, withhold, withhold uh, care services. Yeah, withhold services, and right. we see this now. I'll tell you this right now: with Medicaid kids that are run by the kind of the Medicaid insurance companies, when I order physical therapy, it's at least a month before they get approval.
0: Is that right? Yeah,
1: at least a month, and sometimes more.
0: That's their rationing system.
1: Exactly. So they figure, you know, if, if the kid gets better in a month, so they, well, they really didn't need the physical therapy. But during that month, the kid's struggling to get along. They're they're stiff. They're having problems. You know, and, and like my knee surgeries, you know, if if I do a reconstructive operation on the kid's knee and they don't start therapy, they may end up with a stiff knee that they, you know, it's going to take a lot, lot of another trip to the OR, a lot of work to get them unstiff. stiff.
0: So in the long run, it's actually going to cost more.
1: It may. Yeah, in Some in certain cases, but in other cases, so I mean, they, I'm sure they look at the numbers and they figure it out.
0: You know, well, and but they play it's, the it's, numbers it's game. It's
1: criminal. It's criminal, you know. And for those of us in Texas, you know, if you run into these kind of issues, you need to talk to your state senator and your state representative. They have a person there and say, "Hey, look, uh, you know, uh, we we tried to get physical therapy started. They've been dragging the feet. It's been a month now, and it's, it still hasn't started." and could you be an advocate for me and your your politicians will actually get on the phone to the insurance company and you know what happens when that happens the next day you get an approval yeah isn't that surprising
0: isn't that interesting yeah and I've seen how does that happen
1: <laughs> yeah that's because a politician calls the calls the, the C, you know the ceo or at least one of the vice presidents said hey you know if you want to get your money for next year I'm on that committee you're not getting your we're, we're going to disallow you because you're withholding services. And believe it or not, the, all of a sudden the services get provided.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So this this is this is a little glimpse into what socialized medicine is all
0: about. Well, and, and we that's do not want it. No, no, we don't want it. But people don't realize they don't understand what you're saying. A lot of them. They're kind of clueless to it because they think there's too many benefits to socialized medicine. Yeah. And remember,
1: uh, it's not free you pay for it with your tax money and Nothing's the way they control free. costs is to withhold. I just saw something of them. Prager U today It was a, it was a Canadian guy and he talked about the Canadian health system and the American health system. He gave several advantages, uh, several examples of, of his dealings with the Canadian system. One of them was <laughs> go to the United States and get the surgery done because <laughs> you had to wait for a month and a half, like, like a colonoscopy. He says, Oh yeah, you can get it done in November of next year.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Now you know we look at that in the United States and say that's ridiculous, you know. If I need a colonoscopy, I'm getting one done probably in 2 weeks, not 2 years.
0: Yeah. You well, know? it's been that way a long for a long time in Canada, I think. It's been right. a long waiting list for a long time.
1: Well, that's how that's how they control costs. Yeah. Is is as because, you know, the ultrasound technician isn't in the hospital on Saturday and Sunday. So, if you get admitted, you need like uh, he gave an example of his wife who was pregnant, eight months pregnant, who had had kidney stones, and she was having bad flank pain. She thought it was a kidney stone. She got admitted to the hospital on a Thursday. They couldn't do the ultrasound on Friday because there was already a schedule. Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday, there was no ultrasound tech in the hospital. So she finally got it, I think, on Tuesday. Wow. You know, and so that's what you're looking at in socialized medicine. Okay. Socialized medicine is not good. In fact, you know what would happen? You know who would really be screwed if we got socialized medicine here in the
0: United States? Who? Canadians. Ah, uh, yep.
1: Because here's where they come when they really need to get care.
0: That's right. And when they need to get it quickly. Right. And they exactly. wouldn't be able to do that anymore.
1: Right. You know, they paid money. I think the guy, he, uh, he went to Florida and had something done. It cost him $20,000 out of pocket. But he got it done because the wait was forever. He wasn't going to get it done in Canada. And so, if you know, yeah, I mean, there is – the costs are, are sometimes bad and the insurance companies – if you look at the, what the insurance CEOs make, they make, you know,
0: oh, yeah.
1: $25 million. You know, and most – all that money comes out of your, out of your pocket, out of your health care. Of course it Those does. Those are health care dollars that, that, that get siphoned <coughs> off the system into their <coughs> pocket and not used for care.
0: Yeah, of course because it does,
1: because they <coughs> cycle on care, they hold care, and, and so that, that's an issue. So we need to, you know, at least understand that that's that's the issue. But if you have choices, you can fire that company and go to a different company at least, and and so that that's the bigger thing is having good health care choice, you know, not just having one health care system that you that you have to live with and. You know, if they don't want to take care of you, you're stuck. That's but not, it's that's free, not. John.
0: It's free. It's not. It's not free. Yeah. No, free. You know. So there you go for all the Bernie yeah. Sanders voters that are listening. There might be one, maybe. <laughs> um, there you go. He's your guy. He's your guy for all this uh, wonderful uh, socialized medicine, right? Well, let me tell you something.
1: Bernie Sanders will get health care, but you won't.
0: That's exactly right.
1: When Bernie has his next heart attack, he he'll he'll uh, still have. He'll have some health care because he's one of the elite, and he'll get it immediately, but, right? Just like that's just like what happened uh, a few months ago, right? Remember in the beginning of the campaign, he he had a heart attack. Yes, he did. You know, and he yep. was he was hospitalized for a short period of time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know whether he got a stent or not, but you know, I'm sure they did what needed to be done.
0: And they didn't put well, him on a six week waiting list, did they?
1: That's right. And, and if it happened in you know in a socialist country, you may not get any care.
0: Mm,
1: they may yeah. say, you know what, you're you're you're. 78 years old you've led a good life we're going to let you pass on so we can spend money on younger people Mm, that's right that's That's the way
0: spending of money that's the way it works yeah you know i um i work for a canadian-based company and i remember when i first started eight and a half years ago i went up to montreal for training and we were having some discussions at at dinner and a a few drinks and things and they were bragging about how they had free health care and uh it just it, it amazed me how they thought that it was free and they were bragging about it but i i bet they probably haven't used it and that's probably one <laughs> that's, of the reasons why they were exactly bragging about it exactly what i
1: was going to say said <laughs> it's it's great up until you need to use it and then exactly. you find out
0: then you find out really what you have you get what you pay and, for
1: right well they're paying for it but they're not getting a chance to
0: use well, it well actually you're right thinking. they're not getting what they're paying for Right, that's because right. Because they're paying for it out of their
1: taxes, they, they don't really, they don't see the bill for it. But it's, it's, you know, it's in their tax rate.
0: Yeah, and they, and you know, they just couldn't see that. They just couldn't wrap their brains around that, that their, you know, their forty-six percent tax rate was going to fund their, their, free health care. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing. So, all right. So, so we uh, we we beat up that subject. Now, you recently went to Austin, Texas, and you did some training, didn't you?
1: No, actually, I, I testified in front of a. a oh, that's
0: right. You didn't Senate go there for a community. training class. You went there to testify. That's correct. So, Are tell you, us about right.
1: that. Yeah, if I you went to the, the Capitol. I, si- I was sitting. I was sitting next to a Carl Wren. He was there, he was there to speak too. Ah,
0: Carl's I, a great. I, and guy. also,
1: and Rachel Malone was one of the organizers, and so that was. So I ran into some some folks I know, and I met some new folks, and it was a good time. But we we were there to speak about um, uh, basically getting rid of uh, handgun licensure and going to constitutional carry. Awesome. And uh, and of course, my favorite topic, gun free zones. Yes, that is your favorite. About getting rid of gun free zones. And so we, you know, I talked about the fact that, uh, you know, every time I go into the hospital, I got to disarm and I got to walk through a parking garage at night into the emergency room or into the OR. Mm-hmm. And then I come back out later after midnight sometimes and I'm disarmed. And, uh, and that, uh, you know, I'm a, basically I'm a sitting duck. I'm a target at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, and people get people get mugged and robbed and murdered in in parking garages all the time.
0: All the time, all the time. Not <laughs> just adjacent to hospitals, but anywhere there's a gun-free zone and a parking lot next to it. Absolutely. So you know, I talked
1: about that and that how you know over ninety percent of the uh, of the mass public shootings happen in gun-free zones, and that it, the, the sign doesn't protect anybody. Nope. And I, and then I also talked about the fact that. Texas lowered the price of a concealed license or, you know, now it's licensed to carry from $140 to
0: $40. $40, yep.
1: But if you're a, you know, a uh, single mom living in, say, Dallas, you have three kids, you're working two jobs, you come home late at night, A, where are you going to find the time to take the class?
0: Correct. That's right.
1: Okay. And, and the money. And then for the ammunition and uh, for the yeah. fingerprints and the photographs. Oh, that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to go through. Right. And so, you know, she doesn't have the time and maybe not the resources to do that. But she's the one that needs to be carrying a gun, you know, coming back and forth you know, from their second job at 11 o'clock at night, coming home from that. And so, I, you know, I pretty much explained that that was a problem. And then I also talked to, briefly about terrorism before I run out of, ran out of my two minutes. <laughs> Two um, minutes. But I, wow. Yeah. Well, we were supposed to have three minutes, but then there were so many pro Second Amendment people there. There were over a hundred pro Two A people there. Isn't that there great? <laughs> like, yeah, there were only like three people from the Bloomberg organization, and uh, and so it was. Uh, so we, they had to the, lessen the number of uh, minutes to speak because we had so many people. And I was still I was there till eight o'clock at night. I mean, it was after doing surgery all morning. I hopped in the car and drove up, and uh, and I you know, met up with the folks there but uh
0: it was worth doing Uh, only three people from bloomberg's organization wow wow and Uh, 150 uh, pro second amendment people well 100 something 100 and something uh, something. okay still you know it's so 100 to three three, the numbers were 100 (laughs) to three (laughs) that's great so so it it, it was good it was really good and
1: um it it was a nice unfortunately i had to get in the car and get back home because i didn't get home till 11 o'clock that night but it was uh, it was still a worthwhile thing to do. And they were supposed to have one tomorrow, but that got cancelled because of the the uh, the coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, by yeah. the way. You wanna see something funny? Mm, yeah. There is a doctor named Z Dog MD. Go to his uh, his YouTube page and go go look at his music video he did. It's called My Corona. Uh,
0: ha, ha, ha,
1: ha. It is hilarious. Z Dog M D. Z D O G G M D. Okay. Yeah, he's he's and he's a real doctor. And he's but he's hilarious, and uh, yeah, you'll get a good laugh out of
0: that. <laughs> Z Dog M D. I'll find that YouTube uh, video. I'm going to put a link in, in the show notes here for this. Oh
1: one. yeah, it's hilarious. You, you'll love it. <laughs> and,
0: uh, <laughs> That's good. <laughs>
1: it's A little levity, uh, you know, because everybody's getting depressed. The stock market's crashing, and the you know.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: People are know. Ca- they're canceling all kinds of meetings. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, some orthopedic surgeons who are kind of ha- have a page, an unofficial page that, you know, for the, or, for the orthopedic meeting that we have an annual meeting coming up in a few months mm-hmm. and about people who are canceling, you know, the first, they're asking if speakers, are you going or not going now?
0: You know, so it's my opinion that the reaction to this virus is going to have a worse effect than the virus. Absolutely. We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh. You know, well, you're a physician. You know what are the numbers. How many more people die just from the ordinary flu?
1: Oh, influenza kills uh, usually between 15,000 and 60,000 people a year, depending on how virulent the strain is. Yeah, and there haven't be even been that many we worldwide. We have, what, 11 deaths so far, and most of them are nursing home
0: people. Right. In yes. Washington State. So it's 11 versus it, 20,000. Yeah,
1: or 60,000.
0: 60, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So it's it's um, it, you know it, I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. I, I just don't think this thing is as virulent as even influenza. It may be more communicable because of the fact that you, you can be commu- you can be communicable and not have symptoms. Yeah. So while the thing's incubating, you're shedding virus, and so you know that's that is a, an issue. But uh, you know, if you're a healthy person. Probably you're going to think you had a cold, and you may have had it, and and it went away. It's the elderly people (laughs) who have significant medical problems that
0: it will probably kill. I feel like I have a cold every day. (laughs) Maybe I got the coronavirus, and now I got rid of it or something. There there you go.
1: Maybe. Or you could just have the
0: Texas uh, cedar fever mold. That's uh, what I've got. I got the Texas cedar fever mold allergy. Whatever it is, yeah, and it never goes away. It never goes. I'm uh, keep.
1: There's always something in the air here. I will tell you that.
0: I'm keeping the antihistamine uh, manufacturers in business. Oh, yeah, every day. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. You have day. to. You have to. Yep. This, I bet. I bet Texas is probably one of their big markets. Yeah, I'm
1: sure it is. You know, I, you know, I've lived around the country. And the allergy problems here are worse than anywhere else I've ever been. Oh, they are. And Absolutely. Yeah. But it's still a great place to live, and I'm not going anywhere. So.
0: No, no. Uh, I spent seven years in Arizona, though, and I did not suffer as bad with my allergies. Not even close. Not even close. But I heard it's gotten worse, actually, out there since back when I was over there. So, John, um, the last thing that I want to ask you is uh, what what kind of training have you done lately
1: well I haven't done anything this year I'm gonna be going to TACCON in a couple of weeks
0: yeah and, um, and I might and so, not be
1: yeah and so and the I actually got I actually got picked for five shooting classes make the first shot count by uh, P- pack Eisen and pencil mm-hmm. and then recoil management by uh, sharp Okay. And then it's something called Changing Gears by Chandler and Ray. And then Retention Drawstroke by John Farnham, which ought to be good. Yeah. And then Armed Movement in Crowds by Steve Moses and a guy named McBee. I know Steve Moses. I actually did some jujitsu things with him.
0: Yes. And, I've met and, Steve uh, a couple times.
1: Yeah, and he's a he's a decent guy. And speaking of jujitsu, guess what I started to do
0: What a month and a half Did ago. you start hitting the uh, hitting the jujitsu mat?
1: Yeah, and I already have a broken rib.
0: <laughs> you you have evidence, so, huh? I,
1: I actually, yeah, I actually got sidelined a little bit. I broke a rib about a month ago, so I'm letting that heal. And Way I'll to get go! Back on the mats and, and get back out there, but you know what? The heck! At age sixty, I might as well do something new.
0: It's physically play,
1: play challenging, physical. isn't it? Absolutely, but it's uh, it's good. It's there's a lot of good things to learn, and uh, the the folks that I've met so far
0: have been pretty pretty good. And They're fun sure, begins yeah. at sixty. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I bet I bet her. <laughs> well, that's I you know what? I congratulate you. I'm impressed. I you know, my hat's off to you going and doing jiu-jitsu. You've and you've never really done it much before, have you?
1: No, I've done like two two of the things at uh, Taccon. I did one with uh um, Cecil Birch. With, it was Cecil Birch and one with uh with Moses. And, uh, yeah. the thing with Moses, I whacked my leg on a chair and had a hematoma for about nine months. So my leg finally healed up enough to, for me to do the jujitsu, but I just <laughs> dove in and finally did it. You know, I mean, why not? I, I need to do something like that. You yeah. need to learn that the ground fighting, it's just kind of make you a more rounded, you know, defensive person. You know, I'm, I'm certified in weapons retention and Kubaton and things like that, you know, but, um, but doing jiu-jitsu is a whole
0: nother ball of wax. So how many training hours? Go ahead and count the jiu-jitsu. How many training hours are you up to now?
1: Oh, I'm over 1,000. Um, Unbelievable. I think it's probably about 1,027, something like
0: that. <laughs> that's awesome. 1,000 yeah. hours of training. That's, that's I take it back. It's 1,000 a, a 42
1: 1042 If you count the jujitsu. You You've got it. You've been keeping
0: track, haven't
1: you? Yeah, I keep track. I have a log. And uh, the last two years I've had 141 and 146 hours respectively. Mm-hmm. Um like in 2019 I did Taccon, I did uh, redid the mag 20. Mm-hmm. I did close range gunfighting 4 with just the, you know, the, the uh the shooting uh force side force. Force on force, yeah, with the mm-hmm. with the, um, with the uh, air with the uh, air pistols, you know. You the, did that, John Payne instructor, right? Yeah, I got the crap shot out of me with that. <laughs> I, I did a, a training class with uh, Caleb Causey, um, which was you know shooting and first aid and transporting people, and that, that was good. That was like a day and a half class, and that was out at uh, at uh, in Lincoln, Texas, with. Uh, Oh, what's his name? Um, I said his name earlier, and now I can't think about it. Carl Wren. Car- Carl Wren. Yeah, Carl Wren. Yes. So that was a good day. Carl did some of the shooting instruction, and then uh, I did the Legion of Michael with uh, Student of the Gun. Uh, nice. That's the church thing. That's a kind of a uh, four-night, yeah. um, one-hour kind of lecture thing that's online. Then I did the Steve Fisher RDS pistol, and then I did his t- two days of his critical handgun employment as well. And I did the Saudi U Group Instructor class. Wow! And then, and then I did uh, Beyond's Concealed Carry with Ben. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then yeah. I did that class
1: with the, where we did the drills.
0: That's right. Yeah, with that and Ben and I, I did that. Yeah. That was
1: 146 hours. That was 2019. Woo!
0: So, so I'm getting started. Wow, that's 146 hours in 2019. Unbelievable. Well, I hope to join you at TACCON. I don't know yet because I don't have a ticket. Yeah. I was a procrastinator. I waited too long. I had to get on the waiting list. I remember two years ago when I got on the waiting list, uh, by this time, I already had a notification that I got a ticket. But yeah, well this,
1: this one's up 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 in Carrollton, Texas, so it's actually driving. I know, distance. I
0: know, but uh, I don't know if the I'm going to get the
1: a driving th- distance. Not like driving to like New Orleans or up to uh, you and I and Ben drove Arkansas. to Arkansas,
0: Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, that was fun. We had a good time, yeah. That was a good time. That's too
0: much driving. That's too much driving. But I hope to go. I hope to go. And if I get a ticket, that's that's going to be awesome. That's going to be fine. So uh, help me get a ticket, somebody. Anyway. Um, and, and, and TACCON's a wonderful event. I can't say enough about it. I've been to two of them. Um, and that's the Rangemaster Tactical Conference for people who don't I've, know. I've
1: been to three. This will be my fourth one. This will and, be your uh, fourth, huh? It's the, it's the best best training that uh, I think it was about 325 bucks or something like that, $350. Yeah, bucks I think it's gone day. up
0: more than that, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. That's what th- it was like 350 I think, or 375 Okay. It, it's still very reasonable. For, and it's three days with, you know dozens the best of people. separate trainers i mean yeah. there's lectures there's shooting there's all kinds of stuff there's something for everybody there and uh, the other thing is that the, the 300 or so people that go to that thing are your peers and they're really good folks and so you get a chance to uh, you know make connections and and meet with people and and exchange ideas
0: um, that's just, always one of the you know, great benefits of training classes right especially right. something like like the like the tactical conference the the range master tactical conference cuz like you said you know you get exposed to so many different instructors in 3 days right and you learn so much
1: i mean everybody's got something to teach you and even when you go i mean there's so much stuff on the plate mm-hmm. that you can't you can't taste it all no so when you go back you you know you you can do, oh, I did that one that this year. Let me do this one this year. You know, and and so there's there's always something good to learn. And every once in a while, you'll find a gem.
0: And um, let's talk like, about that. Oh, let's miss talk miss. about the gem that I found. I think it was three years ago. Was it three years ago when you and I, Ben, went to TACCon, or was that two years ago? I can't remember. I think Maybe it was
1: two years ago because it was it was the second time I went.
0: Yes, yes. Up in up up in um at um up, in Little Rock, up near Little yeah. Rock.
1: West Little Rock, or whatever it was. Yeah, yep. West Little or Rock. North Little Rock.
0: North Little Rock, yeah. The gem that I found is uh, Chuck Haggard's pocket pistol class. That was the, 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 the most awesome thing that I walked away from. So i got to give compliments to, to Chuck and his pocket pistol class because I learned so much about handling and shooting the tiny little guns. I, I never, there was just so much I didn't even know. Yeah, and Chuck also does the, uh, the pepper spray class too. Yeah, I didn't, I never took that one, but he does. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and the and the, the one that uh, my gem was Ed Monk, active killer threat and response. Uh huh. Um, and he actually analyzed. It was like a three hour lecture, but he analyzed every single active shooter incident in the United States, and wow, basically went over the numbers of, you know, how long did it take for the for the response to get there how many shots were fired how many people were wounded how many people were, were killed and it's just it's basically the stopwatch you know the, the longer it takes the more people die hmm. more people are in, injured and so the answer is always having somebody there on the scene that can you know you know make it a two-way uh you know shooting range instead of a one-way shooting range
0: well then i'll you bet know, there'll be is, a lot of talk about the white settlement texas church shooting this year
1: ab- absolutely i mean that's a prime example you know, look at the difference between the the, the shooting in uh, Sutherland Springs versus the, the the thing that happened in White White Settlement. Mm-hmm. That's that's a prime example. If there'd been somebody in there that could have shot back at this guy, the numbers would have been much smaller. Um, you know, and, instead, you know, Steve Williford had to run out in bare feet, loading his uh, magazine from across the street, heading across the street to to stop this guy.
0: But you know, One John, day, you know you know something people were dead already well yeah they were yeah and, and i want to say you know john it's, it's ridiculous there's, there's no need to learn how to make headshots i mean who needs that why why do people even teach that right yeah you
1: mean because the guy had body armor on he actually shot him be- between <laughs> the front and back plates that's ah. that was his effective shot on on, on target. Ah. And the guy drove off and then he was kind of losing it so he pulled off the road and off himself cuz he knew he wasn't going to make it.
0: Yeah, when I say headshots That's, I'm talking about the White Settlement incident.
1: Oh yeah, well that um, too.
0: Nice headshots right there that ended the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And that guy, you know, sh- shooting a 357 Sig
0: mm-hmm. in the head is going to get the job done. Yeah, so Practice those headshots, folks, and don't listen Absolutely. to anybody who tells you that it's not necessary to learn that skill. Because it is necessary to learn that skill.
1: Right. Because of A, body armor, and B, so if you turn the computer off, the
0: game's over. And C, it might be the only shot you get. Right. You know, True. if you if you think about shooting somebody and there are people sitting in a congregation in church in front of you you don't want to drop that shot low no and you, you you don't want to shoot low and left on a shot like that do you no you need to make the make it first time every time you got to make the headshot right
1: there in fact so. in fact Steve Fisher the first thing he does in his class is you go to the 25 yard line you load a magazine with 10 rounds shooting a b-8 target which is an eight- inch bullseye mm-hmm you have you you draw the gun, shoot, reholster the gun, and as much time as you need, but you got to make the hits. That yep. you do ten rounds. That's that's the first thing you do in his class, that, because that is an eye opener. That makes you really understand where you need to be. He makes you shoot that cold, doesn't he? Yes, that's and he does. And every time he, he does his, one of his training classes, I mean when he when he goes to the range for his own practice. The mm-hmm. first thing he does, puts the B eight target out at twenty five yards, and shoots ten rounds. Wow, that's good. So, think I got to try that. I got to try that next time. Yeah, it's it's not an easy thing. It's not. It's you not. You got to shoot like a ninety percent, ninety out of a hundred, which is still not easy. <laughs> I can tell you that having, no. having done it a few times at yeah, twenty five. It doesn't matter what kind of gun you yeah. have.
0: That's difficult right. to do.
1: You better you better be good. Yep you better you better have a good grip, you better have a nice trigger press, you have to have your sights lined up or your red dot on the target. I was just going
0: to say your red dot's going to help you
1: with that. Oh, absolutely it does.
0: It's going to help yeah, you big time
1: with that. Cuz I can't even see my darn front sight half the time. I can't focus in on it. So,
0: or at 25 yards, you can't you can't really see the target that well either, can you? No, it's just kind of a yeah, yeah. You have blurry sights over a blurry target. Yeah, and that's just a mess. At least with a red dot, one of them's in focus. Right. Yeah. Well, John, this is great. Thanks for coming on. This was a this was a special interview here. We we did a lot of different topics, but it was it was pretty neat. We haven't really had a discussion like this before.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. You know, I I live it every day. So I just <laughs> you know I do it. That's what I do.
0: That's great. I love. I love my vocation and my avocation. Yes, we can tell. We can tell. We can tell you love both. Well, John can be found, if he's not in the operating room fixing broken kids, he can also be found at drgo.us, Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership, and at 2adoc.com also, right? Right.
1: Right. And the 2adoc.com is our matching service. So if you're looking for a 2-way-friendly doctor... yes. Just go, go to that website and sign up. Tell, tell us what, you, what you're looking for and what kind of area, you know, where, where you're at, and then we'll try to see if we can find somebody that will match up for you.
0: A, a Second Amendment-friendly doctor that won't ask you all the wrong questions. Exactly. And if you also just Google uh, Dr. John Dean, you'll find a lot of stuff. I'll put links to his, uh, his stuff in the show notes as well. And uh, you guys are certainly going to be able to find them, John. Thanks, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Um, have a good one. Have a good evening. Thanks for joining me. And uh, we got to do this again. I'm not going to. I'm not going to wait too long. Uh, anytime you need me, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks. All
1: right. Good night. And
0: good night. Well, I'm really excited to welcome back a frequent guest I've had on the Handgun World Podcast, and I couldn't do episode 500 without John Payne of Suarez International and also a law enforcement officer here in Texas. John, welcome back.
3: Bob, it's great to be back. I am truly humbled and honored to to be a part of this episode. Uh, You know, you've had a lot to do with uh, people getting to know who I am and and uh, how I teach, and I'm about, and I'm just, uh, I'm, 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 just giddy that that you invited me <laughs> here for this. Giddy well, you schoolgirl.
0: Well, <laughs> well, I'm just as excited because you know uh, it was a difficult decision to uh, to figure out who to bring on episode 500. But what I did is I simply went back and looked at all my download statistics, and your show's got a lot of downloads, so I had to bring you on because people like your stuff.
3: Well, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm honored and, and humbled both. Uh, yeah, I can honestly say that I never thought about a podcast, or <laughs> listened to a podcast before I met you. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it opened up a whole new world to me. Um, yeah, but uh, good. Anyway, I, 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 I'm just I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Well, all right, it's it's great. So let's get started. Um, y- you know, I want people to know you also have had a huge influence. For Suarez International, and especially in a couple of key areas, and one of them is with uh, with with small Glock pistols. I remember John, one of the one of the best pieces of information you ever created, Uh, and I read it. I read it more than once. You wrote an article about how to enhance the the pocket kit pistol of a Glock 26 back when when that was actually a pretty uh, popular pocket pistol tell us about that
3: well yeah i, I did and I, this is going to sound arrogant but i kind of feel like i know how you know some of these famous artists felt uh, uh who was it that uh, painted the uh, mona lisa was that uh, um um the <laughs> Ma, Ma, Mike, michelangelo i, I should
0: yeah right? no 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 no
3: no 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 no, Lee, uh, no. Oh, come on, Bob. Now I look like a moron. Now I um, now
0: I sound like it, too. Maybe I have to edit this out, or this is actually going to be a, a funny a part. Neither one of us can okay, remember. Who,
3: who, pa- <laughs> who painted the Sistine
0: Chapel? <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci.
3: Okay, so that was the same one? That yes, did, uh, yes, Lisa?
0: yes. I'll Leonardo not, da Vinci.
3: I'm not a complete idiot,
0: then. Uh, no, you're um, not. No, you're not.
3: <laughs> but uh, anyway, you, you have to wonder... Uh, someone of his uh his his capabilities once he did something like the Sistine Chapel or once he did Mona Lisa he looks at that and says that's the best I got yeah everything else after this is going to be a fraction of that uh I just have and and this is something that just ran through my head you know like uh uh, someone with ADD uh when, when I when I wrote that article the, uh, the first one that I wrote of that series was When Your J-Frame Isn't Enough.
0: Yes, When Your J-Frame Isn't Enough. That's right.
3: That's and, right. And, and some people were offended just by the title. And, you know, whatever. I don't care. Uh, I happen to, as you well know, I, I love uh, little J-Frames. I, I think that they're awesome little guns. And they, they definitely have their niche. That, and some of the things that they do, they do better than anything else. Uh, but you can't press them into uh, multiple roles and expect the same kind of outcome. Uh, yeah, I've been you know, even on a DVD taking a J frame and hitting an IDPA silhouette 50 yards, you know, three, four, five times in a row. But uh, you know, it, it takes a, a lot of concentration to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, and it does. It, it's it's not, hard. to it's do.
3: Not, yeah, it's not something I could expect to do on demand when somebody's shooting at me. You know, uh, when the sky is, as, as Gabe has said so many times, when the sky is blue, the beer is cold and all is well with the world, you can get a lot, you can wake, get awake a lot of things.
0: You can, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true.
3: You know, you, you can, uh, you know, you've got plenty of time to concentrate. You have plenty of time to really, uh, you know, take care of your trigger press, your presentation, your sideline, of side picture, your breath control, all that is, you know, it, it's the only thing you have to worry about is your fundamentals. But uh, when other things are happening and you're having to multitask, you're not going to have the same capabilities uh, all the time, depending on whether it's proactive or reactive. And we've gone you know, over that stuff.
0: We have, uh, quite yes. A, quite a bit. And I want to but, invite people uh, to go back to listen to some of our old shows. Uh, I'll put some some links on there.
3: But, uh, I mean, uh, even when I first got into law enforcement, it, if, if the officer or if an officer uh, carried off-duty, they often carried something like a a little J frame or a uh, uh, PPK more than likely PPKs, Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, those were considered to be off duty pistols. Uh, I, I always had a, a, uh, a, fascination with the Browning BDA 380 mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
3: even, even though it was a little bit larger. Uh, it was, you know, double stack magazine, three eighty, uh, imported by Browning actually made by Beretta, but, uh, but very sweet, smooth, uh, classic pistol. And, uh, and then all of a sudden Glock came up with the Glock 26 and 27,
0: the baby Glocks
3: and, uh, the baby Glocks. And, uh, well, at that, at that time now they're, they're kind of the, you know, uh, toddler Glocks compared to the 43 and 43 X and 48. Correct. Um, but, uh, what initially, uh, really got my attention was that the, the, uh, the internals of the twenty six, twenty seven was exactly the same as the the nineteen and the twenty three and the seventeen and the twenty two. That's correct. Where where your uh, trigger housing, your trigger was all the same. Uh, whenever we we dealt with smaller handguns in the past, there was always uh, you know compensations made in order for the gun to fire and function properly. And I mean, you can go back to the nineteen eleven and look at how how well it worked as a full size pistol. Uh, you know, its reliability at the time for some automatic was legendary, mm-hmm. and then they went to the Commander, and it still worked. And when they got to the officers' model,
0: they had it issues. Was much
3: more, it was much more finicky. Yep. And then someone decided, well, the officers' model is not small enough. Let's make it even smaller, and uh, you know, went with something like the Colt Defender or the Kimber Ultra Carry.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: guns of that nature and then you started reading literature put out by the company saying hey you know uh and i can't remember the exact number but i want to say something like a thousand rounds you need to change out the recoil spring uh some low uh, number ridiculously low number number, yeah for for proper reliability and you know i i used to laugh there's other trainers that would make challenges about if you can get your you know ultra carry or whatever to run uh, during an entire class without a malfunction, I will pay you so much money or whatever else. You know, if if,
0: if I remember those. That yes. And those you, were actually fairly safe bets too.
3: They, they were indeed until you met Eric Lamberson.
0: Right. Exactly. And, <laughs> you
3: know, he, he, he did a CRG three with us, with you and I, yeah. uh, in San Antonio. And I'm sitting here looking at him, watching him and, and chuckling, uh, to myself and out loud because his little ultra carry was just running like a sewing machine. And uh, I said, you know, somebody would have lost money on that bet that one time. They yeah. probably would have recouped it all the other times.
0: Well, I but, I, uh, I got a feeling that's because Eric is probably very good at, at at several things, maintaining that pistol the way it should be and tweaking whatever needed to be tweaked, things like that.
3: Yeah, he he uh, definitely did his due diligence. or he,
0: he Or he yeah. just was fortunate enough to get a really good one.
3: I, I think it's a combination of those things. Um, yeah. he, he's not, you know, it, hopefully, Eric, you're listening to this, but he's not your average shooter. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> he, he's, he's awesome and a really neat guy. Um, I've enjoyed the classes that uh, I've done with him. But uh, anyway, going back to the 26, um, you know, a lot of these, these issues were alleviated with the 26. The Glock figured it out early on with the recoil uh, spring assemblies. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got a subcompact pistol that uh, the, the way the pistol works, the way that it feels and especially the trigger mechanism is allowed to stay pretty much the same um, and I thought that was that was pretty neat um, Now it's it's always kind of uh, uh, impressed me as being kind of a, a pregnant guppy as far as the, the width of it.
0: Yeah, it's a fat little thing, even though it, even though technically it's not any wider than a Glock 19, it just feels like it when, when, when I put it in my hand.
3: It does. It does indeed. <laughs> but uh, what I like about the 26 is that you can take, and if you uh, address it properly and, and use the, uh, the right stuff, uh, mm-hmm. you're not really sacrificing a whole lot. Uh, you're not sacrificing much in the way of capacity or accuracy. Correct and and when uh, we we did the the follow on article to when your J frame isn't enough it was uh, uh, optimizing your pocket block and that and and uh, that's the one that, that uh, you really enjoyed.
0: Yes, I did. Um, and,
3: and we had just begun to uh, and I say we I mean Swords International not me personally had just begun to start to uh, to mill the slides on Glock twenty sixes for RMRs. And you know, initially the the idea was kind of like you know you're you're putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Uh, until uh, we actually ran it and and did everything with it, said, so, well, wait a minute. Uh, people complain about the short sight radius on a 26 or 27 uh, with the RMR on there. The sight radius doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the only thing we're using our sights for is to acquire our red dot. And uh, doing uh, what Gabe so eloquently called the visual handoff, going from your irons to to your dot. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when you're using the dot, well, the the length of, of the uh, or the length between the sights doesn't matter either. That
0: That goes away. That goes away. Okay, the so, sight yeah,
3: radius so, is irrelevant. The sight radius is, is irrelevant. Um, and the other complaint you hear is where anywhere I can hide a 26, I can hide a 19. Well, that's not exactly true.
0: No, I don't. Um, I don't agree with that.
3: The the 26 is shorter both in in the, the pistol grip length and the length of the barrel. Even if you use a swords International match grade barrel, uh, it's still shorter than a uh, the similar rig in a Glock 19, which is my you know go everywhere, do everything pistol. So, uh, the other thing that, that I thought was, was really neat was that you could take and put, uh, a Glock factory plus two, uh, uh, base plate on the 10 round magazine and turn it to a 12 round magazine. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And they will. It's just as long as a nineteen. Well, no. It's no, it's not,
0: not actually. And it, I wish people it, wouldn't say that because it's not.
3: <laughs> you know, it, well, they're they're partially right. It, it would be the same length almost as a Glock nineteen that had been bobtailed.
0: Yes, the length. If you want to measure the overall length, they're correct. But the shape is so much different.
3: Is so much different? And now yeah. Magpul is, is putting out you know uh, twelve round magazines with the Glock 26 and, yep. uh, and what I've seen so far, they're just phenomenal. They're really so, good. So, yes, they are. So now you have got a, a pistol that you can wear. And, I, uh, I have got away with using, uh, the apron style holster that goes over your underwear and under your shorts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, works very well with the 26. Um, I, I tend to like something that has got a, a little more, uh, uh, stiffness to the opening, uh, and, and there's d- so that there's no chance of anything getting caught in the trigger guard, so to speak. Uh, I think those, the, the, th- I, I guess the old term, uh, the old brain was called thunderwear. Mm, I don't thunderwear know was
0: it? Yeah. I don't know if there's still in right. existence or still in not. Existence, anyway.
3: but, the, but the design still is. Yes. Yes. And, it's and, and been copied I a lot. I, I for if I'm going to be wearing uh gym shorts and a t-shirt out, uh, doing my laps around the neighborhood or whatever else I, if I'm going to have something in that I'd first something with a true double action trigger.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. But, uh, the 26, uh, if you're wearing something like, you know, uh, I guess the cargo shorts are coming back into style and, and <laughs> I've always wear, worn them. <laughs> I know they, they, they went out. My <laughs> wife made me throw away a bunch of, them. for me, they've never
0: gone out. I've always worn them. <laughs>
3: I understand Bob. I mean I mean basically this listen you know, they're they're kinda like Vermuter Shorts. Yeah. You know, they, they they maybe at some time in the past they, they they were in style and then they weren't, but the guys that didn't care more them anyway, and then they kinda come back. That was and, me. I was the guy that didn't care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we brought it back, bro. <laughs> uh but uh you know uh something like a, a good you know uh what else would you call them? khaki shorts it's shorts that have belt loops that allow you to wear a real belt yes yes anything
0: uh, that's got belt loops yes they have they, where you can and, wear and, a gun belt
3: that has, that has good belt loops allows you to wear a gun belt yes well i can carry a, a 26 and, and you know the the heat of summer in texas you know a t-shirt and shorts and decent shoes and uh i almost say i forget that i've got it but it it, it makes it really easy um and yeah i can it, do the same it, it, and, it, and it's convenient um
0: yeah i can i can carry that I like that too. the
3: 26 it, you know because i hate to say you know it it's almost like a verbal pause um the other thing that i like about the 26 is that if you vet the pistol properly if you do your due diligence if you do good practice uh, your pistol will probably run just fine with Glock 19 and Glock 17 magazines.
0: Yeah, it will. I've, I've tested that. I've never tested uh, a, a 26 with Glock 17 mags, but I have with 19 mags.
3: And the reason I say that it probably will is because I remember one class I did with you in the Dallas area. We had a student with a subcompact uh, Smith & Wesson MP, mm-hmm. and he was running full-size magazines. Mm-hmm. And he was he was having failures to feed uh, things of that nature. And I kept watching him and trying and trying to, uh, eliminate what was causing the problem when it came down to was, uh, actually pressure being applied to the magazine body. Yeah. And, uh, and I have seen the same thing with a few 26s, but you can't say that, well, that's going to happen every time, or that's going to happen with my gun. I I had a student this past uh, weekend in a three day class that with, with his Glock 26, uh, either using the flush magazines or exam magazines, he was occasionally having failure to extracts or, fa- or failure to ejects. And, uh, I took the same pistol and he wasn't having these problems with his, with his full size pistol. Yeah. I took his pistol and I couldn't get it to malfunction at all, but okay. my hands were nearly as big as his hands. Um, I think there's other dynamics that were were causing that to happen. I think it was kind of like a perfect storm. It was his grip. It was where his support thumb was resting uh, and possibly uh, his wrist, where he wasn't having those same problems with a full-size gun. Uh, Some of these smaller guns are are much less forgiving of a weak wrist or a – I hate to use the term limp wrist.
0: Yeah, weak wrist, yes.
3: (laughs) But but not having an optimal uh, grip and – uh, and the necessary stiffness in the wrist can cause problems in in several guns and i've i've seen people that you know the pistol malfunctions for them you give it to somebody else and they shoot it and it and it runs like a scalded dog
0: yeah and that's so common and i'm glad you brought that up john because so many people criticize pistol A or pistol B or pistol C for having a lot of malfunctions when when so many times it's the user and it's it's dynamics of the the guy shooting the pistol that's that's the issue.
3: I, th- I think that that's a, a very uh, a, a very astute observation because uh, you're exactly right. There are some pistols that some folks the, the gun is just not compatible with them.
0: No. No, Uh, I'm an example of that with really super small guns, even guns smaller than the Glock 26. I have real long fingers. I got skinny hands, but my fingers are long, and so I wrap right around the grip of the gun. In and there's even there's, I, I basically I basically dwarf or completely make the grip of those small guns disappear, which means there's no room for my support hand to. to to grab onto the frame. It's grabbing onto my fingers in my hand and
3: you're not, you're not getting a proper purchase of the gun.
0: Yeah. And so sometimes they malfunction on me because I just can't hold the little gun. I can't hold it tight enough.
3: And I've I've seen that happen with people with a support grip where they're, you know, they're putting their finger in the trigger guard and their support hand is actually blocking their trigger finger. Uh, wow. uh, You know, it, it, uh, it's little things you have to dissect and, and try to find what's best for them. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes it's adjusting their grip. I, I end up doing that a lot in basic classes is, is, is adjusting their grip. Uh, they said, "Well, this 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 feels natural." Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, "Well, it feels natural, but it's not working." So we have we have to do something. We either have to to go to a pistol of a different size, or we have to adjust the way that you're holding the pistol. Yeah, um, yeah, I then agree. And after you practice that way for so long, then it's going to feel natural. Yeah, and uh, getting back to the small
0: guns for a minute, John, I want to I bring us back to that. So that's why I like to see people, when they carry a Glock 26, for example, uh, carry it with, like, the 12-round magazines by Magpul or the 12-round Glock magazines, even. Th- those Those fit most large hands pretty well.
3: I really don't think you can go wrong if you use a factory Glock magazine or a Magpul magazine. Yeah. Uh, Mag Magpul ha- has just done amazing things. They, they have. That was a, comp- a company that got their start by by making pieces of rubber that that uh, slid over the bottom of an AR-15 magazine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, they-,
3: they they have done just absolutely amazing things, and and that's uh, really neat to see. Yeah, uh, it is. The, i said the other thing i like about the 26 uh, especially in in the uh, the way that that i use it the way that i modify it the way that i carry it is that if i choose to use a Glock 17 or block 19 magazine from my, for my spare magazine uh, that uh, you know gives me extra ammo on my belt but i really don't have to worry about uh well you know i i've only got so many Glock 26 magazines or or whatever else I use the same ammo in my 26 that I use in my 19, my primary camo, uh, carry ammo for, for these pistols is the spear 124 grain gold dot plus P mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's accurate. It's reliable. It's, it's well-made. It's very consistent. And uh, I've seen what it does in meat. Uh, I've seen what it does against barriers.
2: Mm, and yeah.
3: and what makes it even more convenient for me is, is that uh, the 124 grain NATO ball uh, it gives me the same recoil impulse and about the same point of impact uh, on, on target. So it, it gives me a, a very uh, affordable uh, practice ammo.
2: Mm, okay. And, okay.
3: And I've also found just through my own experience that if I have a pistol that uh, is brand new, has a match grade slide, match grade barrel, and it needs to be broken in. There's nothing better to break it in than NATO ball, as far as a nine millimeter.
0: Yeah, that is good uh, ammo you know, for breaking in pistols. You're right. That you, is.
3: Put, you put about you put about two hundred rounds through it with the NATO ball, and everything will kind of uh, just fall right into place.
0: So I have a question. Uh, so I have a question that I want you to I want you to answer. So, you know, Glock twenty six been out for decades. So now let let's fast forward up now to. Uh, to March of 2020, which is the uh, date of this recording while we're, while we're all under a uh, coronavirus quarantine here, uh, which, which we'll ignore for right now. But fast forward to 2020, and now we have the Glock 43, the 43X, and in particularly the 43X, the 48, the SIG P365, little guns like that that have high capacity. Why carry a Glock 26 when you can carry one of those?
3: Well, I don't have a lot of experience with a 365 yet. I just haven't had the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, As far as the 43, I was an early adopter of the Glock 43. Uh, As you and I both know, and you were not happy about, Glock chose to go with a a six-round magazine. Yeah, I was not. uh, Yeah. the Glock 43. (laughs) Yeah. And and that didn't didn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. I mean, um, but... Uh, I, I'm sure there's someone that works for Gaston Glock that knows more about how to design magazines than I do.
0: Well, they sell a uh, lot of those guns, so you know who they, are we to argue? A
3: lot of them, and, it, and that's one of the things that we saw. Uh, you, know, you know, I also own a business where I've got an FFL and I, I sell guns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I noticed that uh, when the Glock 42 came out, uh, it, it was it was initially very popular. And that you know, in the 380, mm-hmm, yeah. And I, and I thought, man, they're not going to make a gun much larger than that for nine millimeter. Um, uh, and then they turn around and come out with the forty three, and the forty two sales all but stopped. Now there's still some ladies that really like the forty two. Uh, but the forty two, you know, anything that you choose, you're going to have to make compromises. Yeah, you got to make compromises. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter what you choose. Somehow or another, there there are things that you have to. To get or give up to make the system work. Well, but how about John? Okay. How about the forty-three X? Which when you, when you get to the forty-three X? Yeah. Uh, they they created a a new beast.
0: Yeah, they did, and yeah. so did well. They're keeping up with Sig with their three sixty-five. Uh,
3: and they may they may have not only kept up with it, they may have surpassed it in, in some aspects. And the reason I say that is is because with the forty-three X you have a grip length equal to that of a Glock 19. Yes, you do. But the diameter, uh, well, I'm sure it's not half. It's close to half.
0: It's significantly smaller. Let's put it that so,
3: way. You know, it, it's like a, a 43 or a Glock 19. Uh, Shrunk
0: down. Yeah, Glock 19 slim. Yeah. Well, that would be the 48. The 48 would be the Glock 19 slim. True. True. Um, but,
3: but the frames... If, if I'm not uh, correct, the frames on the 43X and the 48 are exactly the same.
0: Exactly, they're identical okay. frames and identical magazines. Yes. Exactly. Okay.
3: So now, now you've got a, a pistol that from the factory has the same capacity as the 26, is a little bit longer, but is thinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you're dealing. With the same basket of apples. That's true. Okay. But now your basket of apples is smaller in diameter and a little bit deeper. And now what's cool
0: is Shield Arms now makes these 15-round magazines for those little guns.
3: That I've heard nothing but good things about.
0: Yeah, which are hard to get. you are almost impossible to get, but when you get them, they're really good.
3: Yes, that's 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 all the information that I've received so far is that those magazines are just top notch. The only thing that they really want you to do any differently is go ahead and change out your your magazine release with a metal one. Yeah, yeah. So now, you, now we have. That, I mean, they, they really can't tell you how many how many uh, mag changes that you're going to do before you wear out the plastic one.
0: So now we have a tiny yeah. slim gun, which is sixteen rounds. Exactly. And okay. that's that's now, pretty cool.
3: That that is very cool. Uh, and it is something that I'm you know I'm behind it 100% but once again you're you're looking at the same package just a different shape. Yeah. Now so, here because when, because when you get to the 43x right now or the 48
0: uh-huh. you want a
3: 15 round magazine what do you have to do?
0: You have to change you have to go to a different magazine.
3: Right. And while these things are evidently the best thing since store-bought sliced white, white bread, yeah. what's the availability right now?
0: Almost zero.
3: <laughs> you can't get it. Almost em. zero. You can't get it. Ev- eventually, that problem will be changed. Yeah. When it comes to a good capitalist system, you, know, you have supply and demand. Yeah. Now, I guarantee you, the more money they make, the, the more magazines they're going to make.
0: Oh, yeah. Of course. Okay. And, and, yeah. and,
3: and, so eventually, they will meet demand. Yeah, they but will. But you are, you are still looking at a, a maximum of a 16-round pistol.
0: Yeah, maximum 16 rounds, yes.
3: Getting back to the 26, when it comes up from the factory, normally with a 10-round a magazine, uh-huh. that is the same same diameter, same features as a 19 magazine or 17 magazine is just cut off to 10 rounds mm-hmm. to, to fit flush. And if I choose to, I can turn that Glock 26 into a 17-round pistol or a 15-round pistol. Or uh, I used to call them a glad stick. You take a Glock 17 mag and put the plus 2 on there and gives you a 19-round magazine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I use that on a regular basis as my spare magazine for a Glock 26. Um, I, I think it's kind of silly to carry it. In the in the pistol, because if I'm right. going to do that, I might as well be carrying a 17.
0: Right, that's uh, correct.
3: As, as far as high as hiding that grip.
0: As a backup, though, it's perfect.
3: As a backup magazine, it's perfect. And you and I have discussed at length uh, about the the need or lack thereof to uh, reload during the gunfight. Although, if that does happen, you want to make sure you have a good magazine. It, it's you can't say that it doesn't. Uh, just like the north the north north Yeah, my tongue's going to work here in a second. The uh, North Hollywood shootout was was an anomaly, but it happened.
0: It happened. Yep.
3: And and if you research the number of rounds fired during during that gunfight, it you know it was just astronomical.
0: Yep. Yeah, Uh, but most of us civilians are not going to be engaged in something like that.
3: Probably not.
0: Uh, Those of you in law enforcement, yeah, could be. Most of
3: us everyday citizens aren't going to need anything more than a standard seatbelt either. We don't, you know, we don't, we put on a seatbelt every day, but you don't really
0: use it. Yeah, well, hope not. (laughs) You hope you don't use it. it.
3: But if you do need it,
0: you really need it. You really need it, yeah.
3: You know, the same thing as wearing, I I hate wearing a helmet when riding my bicycle, but I wear that goofy thing anyway, because I do happen to take a hard spill and hit my head. I, I want it protected, and I want the best. Uh, the best helmet that I can afford, and I keep my my helmets a good repair. I keep more than one. If I take a tumble in one, well, that one I took a tumble in, it probably goes in the trash, and I break out another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because I, I want to make sure it's not compromised. Yeah. Um. So carrying a spare magazine, uh, you've said it. Uh, if you have said it once, you've said it a hundred times. Uh, the spare magazine is more likely a need for to to clear a malfunction and get your gun back in the fight than it is because you need the extra ammo.
0: And that's is that's just as important as having extra ammo, if not more, because malfunctions in a real gunfight would suck just as much as running out of ammo because it's the same problem.
3: And, and I can see problems arising from a gunfight where y- your pistol may have never malfunctioned on you yep. uh, on, a, on a square range yep. or on an indoor range, but now that you're in a dynamic situation, your your grip is less than optimal.
2: You're uh, nervous.
3: Your support- you're nervous. Your support hand may be pushing against that slide. There's all kinds of things that may be going on that you're not really aware of, all at one time, and you create a you create a stoppage. Mm-hmm. You know, and we don't in Swords International we don't diagnose the pistol as far as what caused the malfunction.
0: You just fix the we, malfunction.
3: We just fix it, and you know, and we talk about that in class. We set those up in class to where uh, it's, it's the same reason why people ask me, well, how come you don't use your slide stop? Now, I tell you, if you want to use yours, you can use it. I'd usually don't use mine. And the reason why is because my, my, uh, immediate action is the same action that I'd load the pistol with. And
2: mm-hmm. you
3: know, there's continuity a- a- across the board. There is the same action. Something I'm used to doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of times that I don't have to think about, uh, just the same way I practiced over and over and over. Um, yeah. and Yeah, I'm also not a guy that I'm not super concerned with speed. I'm more worried about uh,
0: tactics and accuracy.
3: Tactics, accuracy. Um, When Conor McGregor uh, knocked out, um, oh, what's the gentleman's name? Uh, Was it Jose Aldo? Um, Mm, I think. Uh, Not sure. He was back. He was backpedaling. It's when, it was when Connor won that whichever belt that was. Uh, Connor was backpedaling and clipped him right across the chin. At the same time that Jose Aldo landed a good lick on Connor. Mm, okay. But Connor's shot was more precise, and uh, he was quoted when I believe he was talking to Joe Rogan. He, you know, normally Connor's a huge trash talker. He's very good at marking himself. He's very good at getting the the crowd. And, and, and the, the fans riled up.
0: All jacked up. It reminds,
3: yeah. it, it reminds me of the days of professional wrestling when people would go and pay ticket get tickets to watch these these wrestling matches yeah. or watch it on TV. They weren't watching to see the good guy win. They were watching to see the bad guy lose. It was the bad guy that put butts in the seats.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. and you know who pioneered that technique? Go back several more years. Go back to Muhammad Ali. And uh,
3: uh, even for Muhammad Ali, which you you bring out a very, very good example. But what about Gorgeous George
0: and Gorgeous George? Yeah,
3: Okay, Gorgeous George was a perfect heel. I actually met the man that that that, uh, was Gorgeous George, him and his brother. And and, uh, they used to to sell locks of his hair and matches. It's still hilarious. They (laughs) they monetized everything,
0: everything.
3: (laughs) But anyway, getting back to what to what Connor said in his interview, uh, because they were talking about how powerful jose aldo was now i hope i'm saying his name right and off the cuff connor just spat out well something about uh timing beats speed and precision beats power
0: ah yeah yeah that's good
3: that's and i was like i'll be dang gabe just said that exact same thing not you know a month ago
0: mm, yeah
3: talking talk, talking about you know the the drills that we run the holster work that we do and, and the way that we run our pistols that you know timing is more important than speed
0: yeah yeah and precision beats power yeah that's you know, true yeah we,
3: we've we've said that a lot you and I kind of have the same uh the, the same philosophy on that mhm um one of the things that uh well one of the reasons that, that I go with a with a nine millimeter is because I can shoot it quickly, I can shoot it accurately. My my follow up shots are, are much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I carry a 40 at work because that's what they give me and I get free ammo.
0: Well can't beat that.
3: No, you, you, you can't beat that and, and I'm I'm pretty doggone good as as far as that goes with uh with my issue pistol. Yeah.
2: And yeah. I keep,
3: and I keep I keep one almost just like it for myself. As, as you know, my training gun that's one of the guns that I teach with when I'm teaching law enforcement classes, um, but I find with a nine millimeter, uh, whatever I can do with a 40, I can do a little bit smoother, a little more precise with a nine.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's true for a lot of people.
3: Maybe I'm just getting older and, and uh, you know, a, a little bit. Uh, well,
0: you are. That's part of it, John. Don't you realize that?
3: <laughs> I do. I do. We, you know, you I, know,
0: the age the come. age catches up with us, you know?
3: <laughs> I know. I laugh. You know, I've got friends that say, well, you know, you're only 50 years old. That's middle age. I'm like, yeah, mean it could be know than 100?
0: Yeah, nobody lives to be 100. 50 not middle age. Yeah, right.
3: So, so yeah, <laughs> it's not middle age. I'm a realist. I, I, I do things to, to, to try to keep myself in shape. I uh, spend a lot of time out in the neighborhood doing my laps. Uh, I usually have a dog. That's that good, for you. That. That's good
2: and, for you. That's uh, good for you.
3: And know, I've got I've got my uh, my weight training that I do to, to uh, make sure that I maintain muscle mass. And it also helps. I'm at, you know, being 50 years old now, everything that I've ever done, all the stupid things I've done in my life are coming back and, and reminding me that I did them. Yep. Uh, yep.
0: Yeah, you, <laughs> they have a you, way you, of you doing wake,
3: that. You wake up and your shoulder doesn't work or your elbow hurts or you know, you've got, uh, joint pain in your toes or your knees or whatever else. I'm at that age and, and I look at that and I say, you know what? I, I enjoyed getting here. It's worth the price that I paid and, uh, to keep this stuff from holding me down, I'm going to keep on moving. So join the club,
0: um, join the club.
3: <laughs> but So I've, I've got no problem saying, yeah, I, yeah, I can shoot a 1911 very well. I love a 45. I can shoot a 40 very well. I, I still like a 40, um, I've always thought the forty was kind of unnecessary, even from its inception. But it sold a lot of guns, and it was real popular until it, until it wasn't. When when everyone started going back to the nine millimeter, you know, you could yep. find forties everywhere. Yep. But yep. Uh,
0: it was a benefit. So the,
3: the difference between the Glock twenty six and the forty three X is that with the forty three X, you got a ten round magazine from the factory. One one of the pipe gives you
0: eleven rounds. rounds.
3: With, you've got a ten round magazine with the twenty six plus one is is eleven. If you choose to use a magazine extension, that bumps it up to 13. If you choose to uh, use a magazine magazine, well, you've got 13 right off the bat. If you carry a loaded chamber and, and a magazine topped off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you basically have the exact same package. It's just now you ha- have got, uh, with the 43X, a pistol that is easier for some shooters to, to work and work well. I had a student, uh, uh, a lady in this, uh, last red dot pistol school that I did a red dot combat pistol school and the things that they did compared to what we did with, with the group in San Antonio, the the San Antonio guys, we, we had a blast. They did great. It was fun. They made shots that they didn't believe they could make before the class began. And they, you know, uh, making a shot on demand, uh, even uh, mm-hmm. under stress at, at fifty yards to get a center of mass shot was no big deal at the end of class. Yeah. Okay. Or well, this last class, I had to deal with a, with a reduced range, and uh, so the maximum distance was fifty yards. Yeah. And and these folks on demand were, were making headshots at fifty yards. Wow. At nice at forty at, at forty four yards they were uh, working with the uh, the hostage target when you've got a swinger attached to the steel silhouette and they are nailing that swinger back and forth at 44 yards.
0: Very nice. Now those red dots, they're game changers,
3: aren't they? They are game changers. The students that attend this class did their homework before class and, and got, and, you know, got a lot of their reps. in. we, I helped them with acquiring the dot, with their presentation because if your presentation is off your red dot will show it
0: with any gun with any gun that's with, the way with, it is with
3: any with, with any gun you put you put an optical sight on there like, like the rmr which i still think is the top of the heap right now mm-hmm. and and if your presentation is not right the dot will show, will show you show,
0: that it's not right it will yes
3: show.
0: yeah it'll and, show you um, that it'll 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 surprise you too
3: so yeah, you know, we, we use some things that are re- relatively inexpensive to, to create drills and help the students see what they're doing. And one of the things we use is a three-by-five card.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I'm used to having students, even with open sight pistols, iron sight pistols, uh, we start them off at three yards with iron sights you know, on a three-by-five card. I keep them at that distance until they can put all their shots on three-by-five card. Then I move them back to seven yards and then 10 yards and 15 yards. And usually 15 yards is about the max that, that uh, a new a new shooter is going to be able to do uh, on that three-by-five card card uh once they've got in the the proper number of reps and they're getting very very Mm -hmm. consistent but these people were staying on that three by five card after 20 yards which i mean even in our lesson plan we 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 have a statement there that this this is really um being optimistic Mm -hmm. to to keep your shots on a three by five card when you when you get past 10 yards yeah and and these people were kicking like a bruce lee
0: movie (laughs) that's great
3: so it, it was a really good time, but you get to see the, the capabilities of, of what people can do uh, when, when you simplify the, uh, the sight picture with that red dot.
0: It really changes the game, and we're pressed for time. we got three or four minutes left, but um, let's just say we can probably make the point that the red dots are game changers. But, and, and I want to add to something you're saying. Uh, you got to take a class, you know. If you're going to carry a red dot and rely on it, you got to take a class. I learned so much from that one I took from you a couple years ago. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. You got to take a class.
3: It really, it it does. Uh, it it gives you confidence in your platform. Well, and it, 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 there it really is a does.
0: different technique in shooting a red dot. Vastly different technique you can't assume that oh well i'm good with my iron sights i'm going to be able to you know shoot the red dot very well no it doesn't quite work that way
3: no it, it really doesn't the other thing that we really uh ran the snot out of during these classes uh this three-day class was uh you know I, i've always uh any swords international custom pistol that i have will have an extended barrel and threaded muzzle because mm-hmm. i've got a suppressor uh very few pistols uh due to the way that the Glock 26 locks up, the locking block is different on the 26 than it is the 17. Mm-hmm. Um, suppress as well as a Glock 26. Glock 26s with a threaded muzzle, they suppress very well with the with quality suppressor. Oh, okay. Well, um, and, and one of the things about that, you don't have to have a, a, a thread protector uh, on your threaded muzzle, mm-hmm. but it does make it more comfortable to carry. Uh, I, I don't, you'd have to do a whole lot to damage those threads. I mean, they're half by 28, they're robust, mm. but I've all, I've always used a thread protector of some site and uh, some sort. Okay. And some of them are, are, some of them are smoother than others. Uh, I like to, I like to use a, an O-ring on there to keep it from coming unwound. I've tried Loctite, some other things, i, I just a simple O-ring does just fine. Well, uh. They were having a meeting evidently at, at SI and, uh, the, the gunsmith there said, you know, I can make a compensator out of that muzzle device, that thread protector. Mm-hmm. Said, oh, can you really? And so they started working it up and sure enough, they came out with this compensator that takes the place of your thread protector. Does the same job, uh, but it's now compensated. It's called the dark alley comp. Oh, cool. Um, The other one that that Gabe pioneered is called the Street Comp, and it works phenomenally well, but it is a semi-permanent installation. Yeah. Well, the Dark Alley's Um, not, right? The Dark Alley is not. The Dark Alley is the same thing as a thread protector. Well, we started matching uh, uncompensated pistols, see how well we did, see what what our recovery was in between shots and all that jazz, put on the Dark Alley Comp. And noticed an immediate difference. So, man, that, mm. that's really cool. Mm, okay. Okay. So we got that going on. And then I said, "Well, you know, we know we know there's no way that the dark alley cop can compensate as well as the full bore street cop." Yeah. And so we started looking at that. And I took one of the students' pistols, and uh, loaded up a full magazine of that 124 grain NATO, and started running it out to seven yards and 10 yards on on practicing headshots from the Mm -hmm. holster and just the uh the way that that red dot tracked during recoil it was like it stayed on the same plane you you, there, there was next to no recovery in between shots and i was running it to the point to where i felt like i was waiting on the trigger to reset
0: oh wow okay
3: and uh, it was just amazingly, it was just flat. It, it, that's the only term I can think to use is, is that it recoiled on a flat line.
0: Nice. And, that's, uh, that's, those are fun to shoot when they're like that.
3: Which it is. It's, it's a lot of fun to shoot on that, but I, I could see how that would be a, a, a really good tool to have. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, the, uh, i would had some reservations in the past about compensators and where the gases go and shooting with retention on stuff. And that was really a non-issue. Good. Uh, I could good. I could see. I could see how it could be different if you had the the uh, slide and the barrel ported and everything. And, it, and it's, you know, right there. But on, on the end of the barrel, it was it was really no big deal. But what what they have done with, with these Glock pistols with, with the uh, I think now they're calling it the uh, the blue line uh, trigger set. Mm-hmm. It's a, a, it's a two stage trigger, so you've got the take up. When you get to the end of the take up, you're at the wall. Uh, it's a predictable, manageable trigger. Works really well with, with the match grade slide, match grade barrel. Uh, it, it's really a great a great combination for these guns. And uh, just what these students were able to ring out of those quality parts uh, w- was really just fascinating. Um, cool. You, know, you, you, you can never outrun your skill set with equipment. No, you no, know, um, no, you, you can't. You, you can't. You, you can't. Buy stuff to.
0: to you can't uh, buy skill. Not much. You can't buy much skill. And uh,
3: once once you get to a certain skill level, you can increase what you can do with
0: good. You can equipment. increase what you already can do. Yeah, that's true. John, we gotta we gotta bring this this to a close so it doesn't get too long for the listeners. Um, but it's really really good stuff. This is really really good stuff, and we need to get back together again soon and and continue these subjects.
3: Well, I, I hope that you're coming down here what did i tell you that that class was going to be in orange so we're bringing brent yamamoto down uh september in, i believe him, september or october Yeah, and i yeah. are teaching uh, uh, pistol, pistol pistol ground, ground fighting. fighting and i for the
0: listeners i might not know i recently interviewed brent yamamoto and it was a great interview and uh he just he got me all fired up to take that class yeah brent, um,
3: it's absolutely amazing i believe even the hyena may, may be down for that class uh, yep Yep. Greg Nichols and uh, sounds good. And it, it'll be all yeah, I was everyone's concerned about September and heat in Texas, but this will be all
2: in no, we, be...
3: we have air conditioners on the front of the room and the back of the room. And uh, it's a non it's no shooting class. Yeah. It's, it's it's only it's only gonna be training pistols and, and working on uh, being in compromised positions, being able to fight to your gun, uh, being able to, to ward off uh, a gun grab. All those kinds of different things that uh, that add to your overall abilities. Yeah, it's good uh, stuff. It's great stuff. It's, great it's good stuff. stuff. I'm looking Any forward to, to that. It. Hey, uh, and John,
0: let me tell you this. Okay, so we're gonna close here in a minute, but I, I just tell people where they can find you, find out about you, and find your classes and stuff.
3: The easiest place to find me is on Warrior Talk and SwordsInternational.com. I also have my own website, which is PayneDefenseAcademy.com. It's P-A-Y-N-E. I own Ray's Pawn Shop in Bridge City, Texas. Uh, We happily do FFL transfers. Uh, We are uh, Glock Master Dealers. We are a law enforcement dealer for Glock Pistols. So Mm -hmm. if you qualify for the Blue Label Glocks, we can get blue, Blue Label Glocks for you. Uh, and you never know what's going to come through the door. I know they use uh, overuse that on Pawn Stars, but it's really a true statement. Uh, <laughs> That's true. The, uh, in, yeah. In, in, in the last two months, I've had four pythons come in, in and out of the. Store. Oh. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to see them come in, and I hate to see them leave.
0: You hate to see. But,
3: yeah. uh, but I'm in the business of selling guns, not keeping them.
0: Yeah, you're uh, in. That's <laughs> right.
3: But uh, if any of your listeners are ever in the area of, of Bridge City, Orange County, Texas, I'd love that they'd stop by Race punch Go to Shop. Race Punch-Up. You stop by uh, right after I bought it. It's yep.
0: great to see you. And I'll stop by thing. again too soon when I get out that way because I get out that to, towards your direction for business quite a bit.
3: Yeah. Um, well, next time you're here, I'm gonna to have to let you shoot my Glock 19 that I put this Dark Alley comp on. I think you're really gonna like yeah,
0: it. Yeah, I may be end up buying one of those if I shoot it. So uh,
3: you, can, you can get them in <laughs> black, and you can get them in mp 3 So uh, John, before I let you go, before I let you go,
0: I gotta correct a mistake that we made in the beginning of the show. I know somebody. If oh I don't, no. if I don't correct this mistake, somebody's gonna say something. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. Michelangelo painted Michel- the Michel- Sistine Chapel. <laughs> Chapel yeah I've seen the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican in Rome. Michelangelo painted that um, and it, at the Louvre in France sits the Leonardo da Vinci um, Mona Lisa so I had to correct that otherwise I knew somebody was gonna correct me on right. It. <laughs>
3: we brought both of those names out and still didn't get it right and
0: we still didn't get it right yeah but anyway john but we were in the ballpark we were in the, yeah we were in the ballpark that's right john thank you so much this has been great and uh, i again thank you for coming on episode 500 couldn't have done it without you
3: i love i love it and i appreciate it and it, uh, you've made history bob It's really <laughs> awesome.
0: thank you very much john let's do this again because i want to pick up more on the red dot pistol subject okay
3: well, next time we talk, uh, we you might want to talk about uh, the uh, use of a knife. I'm bringing in Tom Sodas to do it ah,
0: that'll Orange be good. Texas. That'll be good,
3: and I think I think you'll enjoy that too. That sounds good. Thanks, John. Hey, thank you, Bob.
0: All right, have a good one. Well, Ben Branham is back on the show again. I could not do episode 500, folks, without bringing on Ben, the probably the single most uh, contributor to the Handgun World podcast and an awesome podcaster in his own right. Ben, welcome to episode 500.
4: 500, that's amazing. You have no idea. I'm, like, jumping up and down for you <laughs> at 500. It's... Uh, I mean, how many of us out there have actually brushed our teeth 500 times, let alone done a oh. podcast for about an hour? Oh, you no. Know, you probably, you know, I'm just kidding on that. But I hope you brush your teeth more than 500 times in your <laughs> lifetime.
0: But, all, yeah. the, all the dentists listening to this are uh, are upset with you right
4: now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how many things do you do in your life that you do 500 times? And I'm thinking most of your shows were like an hour. And then we did a bunch of special episodes in there for a while. We were doing midweek episodes, and I was helping you out with those, and yep. that was a lot of fun. But you, so you have well over recorded, you know, over five hundred hours of podcast and stuff up there. That's oh, a, yeah. You know, how many hours in a day? How many hours in a week? <laughs> you're getting up there, sir.
0: Yeah, and actually, uh, a lot of people don't know, but you probably know because you're a podcaster yourself. I've recorded a lot of stuff that never made the show, also. You know, and uh, matter of fact, <laughs> it might be kind of, might be kind of cool to, to put all that together once and just uh, throw it out there as a, as a good laughable
4: episode. See if you have the recording for your first episode and put it up there.
0: Oh, I, I yeah, I, yeah I got the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can actually, people can actually go back and listen to my first episode just by going to the website, handgunworld.com, and they can stream it off the website. But it's, uh it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Have to click back 500 times to find it. No, no, you got to click back. <laughs> okay.
0: You got to click back. Uh, no, you can get to it pretty quick because um, WordPress allows you to go, I think, all the way back to the first post easily.
4: Oh, okay. I just thought it would be funny to sit there and click like 500, you know, previous, <laughs> previous, previous, like 500 times. But, and I'm sure there's more than that because you put other episodes up and stuff. So that's yeah. cool, man. I'm super excited to be here and to be able to talk to you and to say congratulations. 500 episodes, that is actually a huge, huge thing. I'm on episode like 286, 287, somewhere in there right now. Okay. So I might catch you in another four or five years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you
4: might I'll catch me. You. I'll you. But yeah, you well, catch about 52 episodes a year, and yeah. you know, you're well over 10 years now.
0: Yeah, well, you'll catch me. That's fine. I hope you do. You're at episode, what, a little less than 300?
4: Yeah, 280-something right now.
0: Okay, for new listeners that don't know, Ben's podcast is Modern Self-Protection. Uh, it's on iTunes. It's on all the podcast catchers. The website, modernselfprotection.com. So give listeners a little bit of an idea of what you've been talking about lately on your show.
4: Uh, I just did a truck talk Tuesday where we were talking about doing difference between competition and self-defense shooting. I mean, we went to that – Bob and I are great friends in the real world, <laughs> the real world, not just the podcast world. <laughs> right. And we went to shoot a competition last weekend. We bought, brought one of our other good friends. I don't have permission to share his name, so I don't. But uh, he has tons of self-defense training, and he's never been to a competition. So we took him along, finally talked him into going. He had a great time, but you could definitely tell the difference between him and – any other competition shooters out there because the way he moved, he was very methodical and slow kind of compared to everybody else, but not slow for a real gunfight. He was just methodical about it. And that was one of the big takeaways I took. I'm like, "Hmm, let's talk about that on a podcast because good idea. It's very different. And I thought about even going further a little bit more in here, just give you a little bit more stuff is that one of the best operators I know, a guy that I've worked with for years, I worked with overseas and stuff, and he still does those things for the three-letter agencies that you're not supposed to know about and that kind of stuff. And he super, super slow compared to me on reloads, malfunction clears, working his gun. I mean, I can do it in half the time he does because I'm a competitor. But you see him, and when he's doing a reload with his Glock or something, you could go over there and start hitting him with a 2x4 in the back of the head, and he's going to finish his reload no matter what. And then he'll deal with the problem. He's very, very methodical and very, very focused. He's very, deliberate. Very, very, he's deliberate, isn't like he? Like a machine yeah. <laughs> putting together a car is wow. what he looks like. Yeah. So, yeah, and just kind of – I thought about that years ago when we were training together one time. I'm like, haha, you're slow. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, hey, because we all hate to lose, you know, no matter what the competition is. And he's an operator, so we always compete at things. So I made him faster. He made me better shooter and stuff and a better operator, better mover. So we always had that fun. But, yeah, looking at him, it was just like I stand in awe of him going, hmm, you know, I could walk over and kick him in the knee and watch him fall, and he would still complete that reload wherever he was.
0: Well, he this was makes a good subject, the then. Said, oh, I'm glad you brought this mind? up. I'm glad you brought this up. So what's more important, then, uh, speed like a, like a master class competitor or or preciseness and deliberate uh i guess how did you put it kind of focused um manipulations and movement what do you think on that
4: don't f it up that's the <laughs> most important part uh if, if you look at it and so i was thinking too on competition i am at the ragged edge of what i can do i am on that line of going too fast and falling on my face and when i say that on, at the competition i went too fast i I don't know if the magazine was broken or I chunked a reload. Either way, when I went to reload my gun, the magazine hit the ground instead of going into the gun. And then I had to fish around on the ground to pick it up put it back in the gun and keep going. And that cost me first place to third place. So, you know, it happens, right? But in a real-life scenario, that kind of thing will cost you your life. Where two-tenths of a second, three-tenths of a second, if you're operating correctly, like you're moving or taking cover while you're doing your reloads or your malfunction drills – you know, that third of a second shouldn't cost you your life if you're doing your other tactics correctly. But dropping that mag could still do it. So that's why I say don't F it up. That's the most important thing. So yeah. slow and methodical. I mean, if you watch a guy that's a true competitor, his hands are moving as fast as he can to get to the magazine on his belt. Oh, yeah. And back in the gun. Oh, yeah. And if you look at an operator guy, he's going he's going quick, but hands will move fast. It'll get slow to make sure he gets the right purchase on the magazine so he doesn't drop it. His hand moves fast to the gun, and then it's slow getting into the magazine, and then he'll probably hit it or tug on it if it's his rifle to make sure it's in there before he goes back to shooting. And a competitor, it's just as fast as you can to the mag, grab the mag as fast as you can into the gun, and hopefully you don't bobble it in there. And so most of the time, we don't.
0: It sounds like what you're saying is don't make a mistake. Yeah. Don't you know, F it
4: up. That's don't F it up. Thing.
0: Yeah. Even
4: if you're a bit slow, don't screw it up. Yeah, if you're that methodical and you just do it every single time. And honestly, when I practice a lot, especially if I'm practicing for true combat, and I I use the term combat as any self-defense situation, trust me, you won't know the difference if somebody's trying to kill you one way or the other. You're in combat if they're shooting at you and you're shooting at them. You just need to get it done no matter what. And it needs to be fast, but it needs to be correct. Because if you mess it up, it's going to cost you three, four, or five times as long You know, my rifle, I was shooting my PCC this last weekend, and my reloads are about three seconds, give or take, with that PCC, so they're still kind of slow, but when I dropped that magazine, it went from three seconds to, like, ten seconds.
0: Ten seconds, yeah.
4: So, yeah, and really, it cost me at least second place, if not first place in the match, and I was very upset when my magazine fell out of my gun, and I had to fish around on the ground to get it. (laughs) But it can happen.
0: It can happen in a real self-defense situation. That's what you're saying.
4: Yeah, so you got to be slow, methodical, go down. When you're practicing, you don't have to practice at speed. Just practice nice and easy so everything's smooth and methodical and everything is the same every time. So that when you're walking around, you do it the same time. If you're crouched behind a barricade, you do it by the same way. If you end up on the ground, you're doing it the same way. So everything just kind of works exactly like it should, nice and easy. And you've
0: had that experience, you've had that combat experience uh many times so did did you find that that making sure you don't you know stink it up in combat i guess that was probably the the, (laughs) what you had to worry about the most right
4: yeah but in combat i was lucky i had 12 15 other marines behind me the whole time (laughs) yeah that helps so it wasn't that big a deal because they're all shooting um i executed a couple perfect reloads one, not so perfect. I remember we're in the back of the truck driving around and shooting at people, and they're shooting at us. And I go to do a reload when my mag was half empty, and I tuck it in, and I'm sitting behind the truck, and I hit the mag release, and I watch the magazine bounce off of the sandbag in front of me and go into Never Never Land. Um, okay. <laughs> but there goes that magazine, but I just put a new one in there. You know, I had like 15 of them on me, so it wasn't that big a deal. Put a new one in there and ready to keep going. But I remember executing that magazine change flawlessly like I was standing somewhere. And normally, my way of retaining a magazine is that you do the reload, and then if there's time, you bend over and pick up the magazine.
0: If there's time, So yeah.
4: If if you're in a vehicle, that doesn't work because you're moving along, and there goes the magazine. It was pretty funny when I watched it skip. <laughs> the, uh, bye-bye. Waved at it. Wasn't that big a deal. You know, put the new mag in and kept going. And I actually had extra mags in my pack, so I could just flip all that stuff out. But, yeah, that was a perfect magazine change, except for that my magazine bounced into Never Neverland. But I did it exactly how I trained myself to do it. My rifle malfunctioned in one of my first gunfights. It, I did it exactly like I had trained myself, except for, and this is kind of funny, my mind-mouth filter stopped working. So Your what stopped my working? Mouth, my mind-mouth filter. Okay. So when my rifle malfunctioned, I am screaming and cursing at my rifle trying to kill me and uh and true marine corps fashion it ain't your rifle's fault (laughs) i made i made sailors look bad with my mouth oh yeah so much and i'm yelling (laughs) i didn't even realize it until after the firefight we kind of do a quick after action talk to my buddy next to me and he goes dude you yelled so loud at your rifle i thought my rifle malfunctioned i looked down to see if i had to clear it so wow wow things happen yeah you know i don't know I don't know if if in the real world I'll be doing that, too. I hope not if it's on video, you know, if I'm screaming horrible, horrible, bad things at somebody when they're trying to kill me. I guess. I
0: think it's understandable. I think it's understandable probably most people are going to be screaming like that when someone's trying to kill you and you're trying to save your life. I I don't think you're going to get uh, faulted
4: for that too much. I'd rather not have that play in court, though, you know, if somebody has that on video. And I'm like, die, mother effer, die. I'm going to kill you. Come here. Die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're you don't want that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and you, have have and them. you bring up a good point. You know, in today's society where everybody carries a video camera in their pocket on their phone, um, whatever you do is likely to be videotaped.
4: Yeah, unfortunately or fortunately, <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. But, yeah, so uh, hopefully I don't do that. But that was one of the things that I laugh about looking back at my combat experience. I'm like, You know, I never train myself to be yelling. And if anything, I train myself as a Marine to actually say what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. You know, tap rack, roll to the right, whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to say it. And, you know, red, 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 malfunction, telling my guys next to me. I told them, but it wasn't clear and concise like it should have been. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, things happen. But anyways, I don't even know where I'm going. Besides, that's a funny anecdote of what happens in combat. And even when I was under that much stress where my rifle is malfunctioning and people are shooting at me and I'm shooting at them, I didn't lose that dexterity that people talk about. You know, you can't do anything. You can't put the magazine in or your fingers don't that work. That didn't happen to I you? Never, I never had that problem in combat.
0: So they call yeah, people call it the fine motor skills, right? Yeah. You didn't lose didn't your know, fine motor skills?
4: My fingers always worked. I didn't have any problems doing the malfunctions. I didn't have any problems recognizing what was going on with my rifle how it wasn't mm-hmm. running and stuff and getting it back up why do you that think rifle? that is i didn't work Practice it for a million times mm-hmm. how many times have i practiced it? and then i was i mean i learned how to do a correct malfunction drill back in 1999 it's different than what the marine corps teaches is different than what most instructors teach they're starting to catch up and you know i was teaching my guys that so i had to teach them all that and then i've worked that and worked that and worked that and worked it some more And now I've got it. I still teach that same malfunction drill because I know it works. Even in combat, I could do it. So, hey, it works. If you can do it, you can do it. Some people are starting to add things. Um, They're starting to add with the rifle to use your finger in there to make sure that the rounds come out. I don't know. It worked for me, but unfortunately, for a little while, my rifle was broken, and I had a single-shot rifle in a gunfight. So that was a lot of fun, too. (laughs) Well, yeah.
0: I'm glad to hear what you just recently said, Ben, that your fine motor skills did not really get lost too much. Because, you know, that's a a, a theory that gets bounced around all over the self-defense world that, oh, you're not going to have any fine motor skills in a fight. And, you know, you're... You've been in fights. You've been in fights even though they were in the military. And, and you're kind of saying the opposite. And when I asked you why, why were you able to still execute all that? You said because of practice, because of practice. And, and it, it just seems like maybe we can kind of uh, uh, slightly bust that myth that you're going to lose your fine motor skills. You're going to probably end up doing whatever it was you've been practicing for the last several years, right?
4: That's one of the big takeaways I had in combat. You're going to do exactly what you trained yourself to do. Yep. And if you haven't, even if you've, sometimes if you thought about it, not so much. I had one thing in combat, I guess is turning into a Ben war story here, but we started <laughs> kind of losing the fight. We lost fire superiority and it was a squad on squad engagement, which military tactics, that's one of the worst because I lose all my advantages and they do too. So we're kind of at a stalemate almost. They gained fire superiority on us, so we're all hiding. And, you know, and I've read all the books in World War II, Vietnam, everything, all those guys. I should have plucked a grenade from my from my kit and started chucking grenades out there to gain back that fire superiority. Instead, I'm holding my rifle screening at the rest of my squad to fire back. So, And that's something we never practiced in combat, but it was something in, in training. But it was something we kind of talked about a little bit. Yeah, we should throw grenades. That's a good idea. Yeah, of course that's a good idea. But we never worked on it so you know i did the after action on that and i'm like well if i end up there again i'm gonna start hurling grenades at people <laughs> so
0: so what you're describing is you didn't des- you didn't have a loss of fine motor skills you had a serious brain fart
4: yeah and it was it wasn't something i practiced i right. should have practiced it when we were doing drills and stuff yeah that yeah we're gonna we're gonna create fires we're gonna if we lose fire superiority or if we start to lose you're going to reach down, grab a grenade and throw it at the, butt. you know, pull the pin and throw it out. And if that doesn't work, reach down, grab another one, throw it at him again <laughs> until it works. You know, grenades are, if you haven't been around a grenade, you don't understand how just devastating and loud and just, it, it rocks the earth around you. There is no way else to say it. It's only a little two pounds, you know, not even two pounds. I forget how much weight is in there, but it is a cocoon that feels like it will bring down the building and it feels like an earthquake if you're laying on the ground after you throw one 30, 40 yards from you. It's incredible the amount of noise and just, oh, my gosh, they make. And I never threw one in combat. I saw one thrown in combat from about 100 yards away, and I watched it shake the building. They threw the grenade in, and it almost, you know, it looked like the building was going to come down, all the dirt and everything, dust. It was crazy. (laughs) That was one little grenade. So I know what they can do. I just hadn't, you know, I didn't practice it, so I didn't do it. I should have done it. It would have gotten us through that firefight a lot better, a lot faster, and I probably would have we probably would have done more damage to the enemy than we had. And, well, you know, so you look back, there's always something you can improve on.
0: Well, so now let's take what you just described. Let's take your experience. Let's transfer that to the civilian world, because most of us civilians are not walking around with M4s and hand grenades. Uh, most of us are walking around with uh, 9mm pistols or... 38 special revolvers and things like that that were concealed carrying but you're gonna you're gonna default to what you've been training but we also have to avoid the the mental brain fades don't we
4: and i think you do that by just practicing and going to the same spot if i know that one of the things that we i guess we talk about a lot is carry the same gun in the same place with the same ammo all the all time all the time yep. if you're, if you're patting yourself down looking for your gun You've got an issue you don't know where that is you don't know what's going on it happens more often than you think and if you shoot competition where you have to have that gun on your side all the time and then you carry appendix or you carry shoulder holster or you carry cross draw or you carry an ankle gun or a pocket gun and you never practice with it and you never think about it you're never going to get that and it, you need as much practice if you're going to carry let's say you normally carry appendix and then you go to competition and you practice in your competition all the time for your draw out of just a strong side holster because you can't do appendix at most competitions right you need to go home and drive drive fire dry fire yeah yeah you need to drive practice your carry method your appendix carry your other one yeah just to keep that motor pathway going so that you don't think about it and go for the wrong thing at the wrong time you know magazine changes where do you carry your mags I've given up putting my mags in front of me even in competition because I trained for so long in self-defense and my pistol mags go right at you know the side of my body pretty much just behind the center line on my left side that it's funny I will put them in competition I'll move them out to the front because it's faster your hand has to go slower but you would you should see me at competitions when I do that I will put my hand back where that magazine is supposed to go figure <laughs> out there's no magazine there and have to run my hand around my belt to find my magazine. And that's just, and that's only a little bit of stress under the clock trying to be fast and move around. So, yeah, if you do that in the real world, if you go put those magazines in front of you all the time, and that's all you practice, and then when you carry concealed, you put that magazine in your pocket, like, Bob, I know you pocket carry magazines sometimes, that it's going to take you forever. You're going to automatically just go to that mag in front of you that's not there. You're going to be feeling around on your belt. It's still not there. And you're going to have to stop and think. And you have to use some of that brain power to figure out where that magazine is. And, yeah, you know, it could save your life. It could kill you. I mean, this could kill you in the streets, right? Or, you know, it could be no big deal that it, once you do competition, you can think so fast, at your gun manipulation, that it costs you a whole half a second and it doesn't, that you patted yourself down three times looking for your magazine and that had to go to your pocket. And having you know, about a 1.9-second reload, you have a three-second reload. It might not matter, or it might. So, yeah, I don't know. Only your gunfight will tell you if it matters or not. Well, and I'm kind of the opposite.
0: Uh, the last couple of years, I've been primarily carrying my extra magazines in front, Horizontally in a mag holder or a similar type of a of a magazine carrier. So I compete that way. And even though, like for example, IDPA doesn't allow me to do it, I do it anyway because the local club doesn't really um, care too much, and uh, I carry it. And so I'm practicing that way. So I'm pretty good with it. I don't find myself reaching back over to the to the nine o'clock position on the side of my body for my magazine. But it used to be that way. Yeah, I used to just automatically put my hand back there looking for a magazine. So you're right. The habits build. Whatever, whatever you practice, that's what you're going to keep on doing.
4: And Bob, I'm going to tattle on you because I've seen you go the other way. I know you've been practicing for the last two, three, four years or something with that horizontal magazine that sits in front of your body. Yeah. It's really, it's above your left pocket of your jeans. Yeah, pretty and much. I, yeah. So I gave I gave away the secret where you carry your extra magazine. <laughs> but uh, I know when we went to IDPA a couple times. Oh uh, yeah. Had, you you're right. Forced to wear your mag in the other spot. I've seen you go for that reload you you pull up your shirt right where it's supposed to be cuz it's concealed and you're like huh, huh, huh. you have to you're like palming yourself going where's my magazine you're patting yourself down and then you have to remember I see your hand slide all the way around the back to grab that magazine where the rules say you have to carry it. Well, that's so, why
0: yeah, I've seen you do that. that's why the little, good thing about our thing. the good thing about our local IDPA club is they don't uh, they're not too strict about that. They're not too strict about yeah. where you carry it. I've—they probably don't see me doing it, but I've been able to get away with putting a magazine <laughs> at about the uh, at about the ten o'clock position.
4: Yeah, and that's a cool thing about competition—is you can go shoot them as long as you don't care if you win or not. Carry your actual gear that you're going to shoot, and carry right. your actual carry gun, and that's what your I do. Actual carry stuff, and then see where you end up.
0: That's what I do—that almost every single match now. Uh, I'm shooting something like a Glock 19 or an M&P 2.0 compact and uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm concealing it in the same cobra holster that i carry it in and i'm putting the magazine horizontally in the front of my body in a mag holder just the way i carry it and i might be at a little bit of a disadvantage than the people that have race guns and carrying on a on an offset holster outside the waist where all they got to do is basically uh breathe and the gun comes out of the holster you know, But they don't carry that way. and So, they, yeah, they have a competition advantage on me, um, but I I practice the way I carry every day.
4: Yeah, and if you go to shoot a competition like Bob does, um, I hate to say it, but you're never going to win. No, there's I'm not going to win. That will, there's people that are out there, when I when I decide to win, I'm carrying a full competition gear, and exactly. I'm going as fast yeah. as I can. I've been yep. shooting that PCC with full competition gear. You're good so at my it. Mag- my extra magazine, I... You know, I bought two different magazine holsters. One holds it really, really well, but it's harder to get it out of. And the other one, uh, the magazine falls out sometimes. So I wouldn't ever use that one for combat. But you know what? It is a second faster to go with that one that falls out sometimes than with the real good one that holds it. And guess which one I'm running around with at the competition? Yes, I will drop my magazine every once in a while. But you know what? It's faster for me. So I'm just at that. So that's where... If you go with your normal gear, don't expect to win. You'll have guys that are just total race gun.
0: I don't expect but, to win, no.
4: Um, but it's fun.
0: But what I expect to do is I expect to be able to do at least keep up with the top half of the of the whole match that are probably shooting competition or race gear. And when, the, when they post the scores, I look to see how close am I to the ones that are shooting what we call an open gun, for example, uh, or something like that. And if I can be relatively close, like if I can be throughout the whole match within about 15 seconds of some of those shooters, I'm usually pretty happy because I'm shooting concealed carry gear.
4: Yeah, and you can always, if you do it a bunch like Bob does, you can always look at your ratings. Are you going up or are you going down? Right. You know, there's, for at least us, our local matches, there seems to be 40 to 60 shooters every single time. And then where are you? Are you right in the middle? Are you in the bottom 10%? Are you in the top 10%? Are you in the 20%? And I'm always pushing that top 20% when I'm running my carry gear. And now with the PCC, I'm trying to be that top gun. And third, Bob, third, because I dropped that stupid magazine.
0: Third. (laughs) That's really bugging you, isn't
4: it? (laughs) Yeah. It's only been three days since then. And I think I've reloaded that rifle about 5,000 times by now. When we get off the call, I'll do it again. I've been I've been snapping in, or that's what the Marines call dry practice. I've been snapping in every single day for, like, a month now. And you know what? The last three days, it's been magazine changes on that rifle because, gosh darn it, I'm not going to lose that way again. It's not going to happen.
0: Not going <laughs> to lose that way again. Now, this coming Saturday, we're going to go shoot handguns at IDPA, right?
4: I forgot. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes.
0: I'm yeah. going
4: forgot. But, no, I'll probably bring that PCC.
0: Oh, you're gonna win. do PCC because you want to win. Okay, good. All right. Yeah. Do that. Do that. You're you're pretty well practiced with your concealed carry handgun anyway, so you're in good shape. All right. So let's let's shift gears a little bit here. Um, you know we're recording this on March 18th, 2020, so we're right in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. So I guess all of us gun owners, we're happy that we got the guns and ammo, so we can sit at home and protect our toilet paper, right?
4: Yeah, except for if you don't have toilet paper. <laughs> Bob, I'm coming to your house to borrow some toilet paper. Uh, We're going to be protecting our, our
0: toilet paper and our hand sanitizer. Oh. You know, toilet yeah. paper is gold, and hand sanitizer, those are diamonds right now, aren't they?
4: Yeah, I've got plenty of hand sanitizer sitting around and that stuff, and we got plenty of bleach and wipes and all that.
0: Well, and I'll, stuff. Tra- I'll trade like... you some toilet paper for some, some. for some hand sanitizer and wipes.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might have to do that. He's just funny. Me and my wife buy toilet paper by a gross, you know, at Costco or something. Yeah. And uh, we weren't paying attention and we went, oh, well, maybe we should go buy some because we're getting low on the gross. And then that's right when this whole coronavirus and everybody was buying up everything, a toilet paper you could buy. And I'm just like, and the funny thing is, though, that was we're looking at it going, oh, we're low. We need to buy some more. That was three weeks ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we still had a month's supply of toilet paper sitting around and we wanted to go, oh, we're low. Let's go get some more. So we still have a, we still have enough. We're not like it's only one roll in the house or anything. But it's just funny that that's the thing that ran out. We haven't bought toilet paper in three weeks. You know, it's going on a month now. We still have it, so it's really not that big a deal. But I, I laugh at you, Bob, because you bought a couple extra. I know you went out, and that's why I'm like, I'm going to come to Bob and I'm going to borrow some toilet paper when we run <laughs> it's out. It's
0: going to have to be a trade, man. I'm going to have to trade you for some of your uh, your sanitary wipes or hand sanitizer. <laughs>
4: That we can do. <laughs> I mean, I got plenty of bleach sitting around. I oh all that my stuff.
0: goodness! On
4: how, it, how things fall when that stuff happens. And well, even yeah. In our world. What about the ammo? I mean, crazy. Did that go? Did that go nuts or what? It two went weeks, nuts. So I, bought, I bought two cases of ammo. I was going to buy one, and I was I was looking. I was buying cases of ammo, the Wolf stuff, for one hundred and thirty dollars a case of a thousand. And then two weeks ago, I went to buy another case because I was starting to run a little low. And when I say low, that's the stuff that I shoot all the time. I generally have like three or four cases sitting there, and I'm working on one case. And when that runs out, I just buy another case, kind of dollar-cost to average into it and keep my stock going. And then I went to buy another case, and it went up from a $1, dollar 130 to 135 And I went, oh, prices are going up a little bit. And that was before the coronavirus was really a thing, too. It was only in China. And I was like, I'll just buy two cases. Now I Do, look like a freaking genius. Now
0: you look like a genius. Yeah, yeah. You're.
4: Uh... Yeah, I can't even find it now. And I know you were when we were at the competition three days ago. You're like, oh, I thought I had more nine millimeter than that. Let me go buy some case. And we looked at on the phone while we were sitting at the conversation at uh, the competition, and you were. <laughs> They were out of everything, my affiliate Lucky Gunner, they were out. When, yeah. I mean just yeah. everybody seems to be out of 9mm. And 3 I days ago there was nothing. There yeah. was nothing. 3 days ago on
0: GunBroker, I managed to find a case of Aguila brass 9mm and I think it was 240 bucks including shipping. So I snapped it up because it's 1000 rounds and I needed it. So, um, I guess I shouldn't be uh, uh, in, in public telling people how much ammo I have. But most people have figured out that I usually have a pretty good amount <laughs> of guns and ammo anyway. So, for yeah. ten, I've been doing this for ten and a half years and telling people. They probably know.
4: Collect a little bit at a time. And I just, I pulled up my affiliate Lucky Gunner right now. At this second, they have cases of Wolf 9mm in stock. Wow, they do? For 300 a case. Oh, my goodness. $310
0: for steel case junk. So I bought Uh. the
4: Tula steel case junk, you know, three weeks ago or whatever it was, for $135 a case. Look at how fast that goes. So this isn't to say that you're an idiot if you missed the ammo and you're never going to get again. No, this too, like everything else, shall pass. It's just going to take a little while for the ammo to catch up. But, you know, when prices go back down again... Maybe you should dollar cost average into that stuff and go out and buy, you know, save some money and then buy a case. I mean, at Lucky Gunner, it was, you know, I was buying it for 130, $135 a case plus $18 shipping and handling. So really I need 150 bucks. So why don't you save 20 bucks a week? And yeah. when it comes to, and then buy a case of ammo when you have enough, save 20 bucks a week. And then we have, buy a case of ammo. If you have four or five cases of nine millimeters sitting around and you're shooting all the time, which I hope you're shooting competition and training and all that other stuff, but you have plenty of ammo sitting around. I actually, when I bought the last two cases of the 9mm, I brought a bunch of self defense stuff because I normally just throw in a box of self defense ammo so I can cycle out my stuff. And I was thinking, oh, I should buy a case of 5.56 too. But I'm like, mm, yeah, no, I've got like a case of that sitting around of the good stuff. And I got a couple cases of crap sitting around. I'm not really worried about it. I haven't been shooting the crap, I've just been stockpiling it for a while because I decided I don't like steel case in my rifles. Mm-hmm. I get. I got lucky with a couple of the rifles I bought, and they are just shooting like houses of fire, and I don't want to ruin that barrel faster than I have to because they're just shooting so well. Yeah. I'm like, forget it. I'll shoot the good stuff, and the good stuff was only another $20 or $30 a case than the cheap steel crap. So I was like, "Hmm, I'll I'll risk it for the rifle, for the handgun. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. But but now I'm like, oh, now I can't get that 5.56 stuff. So, and yeah, you can't, can't like get nine millimeter
0: number. either. Man, I tell you what,
4: I'll be shooting that steel crap first.
0: <laughs> now here, here we are, like we were years ago. Now you're better off if you've got something like a, a three fifty seven sig, uh, because that ammo is probably not getting bought up. Well, do a quick search, see if Lucky Gunner has three fifty seven sig.
4: So yeah, I just pulled them up, and they have a bunch of three fifty seven sig inside. <laughs> see that? Well, they, well, actually, they only have three different kinds, which is probably not. But they have it in different. stock, right? But it's in stock, yeah. So that's
0: that's my point. See, now if you've got a, if you have an unusual caliber, you're actually probably sitting in a good position right now because you can get ammo.
4: <laughs> yeah, they've got the defensive stuff, and they've got a case of so spear Lawman, That's actually pretty good stuff. Yeah. For a thousand rounds is four hundred fifty dollars.
0: Oh so really man, that's well, high.
4: 350, Three fifty seven sig, that's not bad. That. Three fifty seven sig is always more expensive. Yeah, uh than everything else. Do they have, I
0: bet you they got ten millimeter?
4: <laughs> that's probably true.
0: <laughs> they probably have that, but they probably don't have any nine and forty, that's the problem. Well they probably but you know what? I bet you they got some forty five ACP.
4: They uh I don't know. That's a good question. Yes, they have one one Brazor Bla Brazor laser brass i can't say that thousand round case is three hundred eighty dollars that's not
0: bad so, for yeah. 45 ACP. It's yeah
4: not too bad so the nine mm is the stuff that went away but that's the only thing they have in stock so i expect all those prices to shoot up yeah. next round too well this <laughs> too
0: shall pass this too 40, shall pass
4: probably all the same but yeah nine millimeter and get self defense stuff 22 last time i looked they didn't have anything that's pretty funny Yep.
0: Yeah, well, they
4: have zero.
0: I'm pretty they have well stocked time. on 22. What's interesting to me is I I tell you, I maybe maybe I might get uh, I might get criticized for saying this, but I really don't care. This is episode 500. So anybody that wants to criticize me can uh, when you get to your 500th episode, then you criticize me. How's that? Uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say I really think that, you know, we got to remember during this uh, coronavirus tragedy, you cannot eat your guns and ammo. So it's okay, it's okay that you're that you're stockpiling ammo and, and maybe buying a few extra guns, but you can't feed your family with that. And I don't think we're going to get to a situation where you're going to have to be hoarding, uh, you know, fending off people that are trying to raid your house. I I don't think we're going to get to that situation, at least not in America.
4: Uh, I don't think this is going to be the one that ends society. How's that? No. And no. you can put this up to post in, in you know two weeks or whatever it is, a week and a half. And if I'm not here, I could be wrong. But <laughs> me too. The but like uh, gonna end the I, I don't think so either. Uh, no. But it's nice to have the ammo so I can keep shooting during times like this. Yes. That's why I really stock ammo. Yes. I mean, that's How much I... ammo can you can carry? What's a combat loadout of nine millimeter? It's not a case of ammo. For God's sakes, it's three or four mags at most. And then what's a combat loadout of even a 5.56? Five, five, I mean, a standard Marine Corps loadout of seven mags. When I was in combat, I was carrying 12 or 14 on my person just yeah. because we had to. We were on our own, and I had a couple more in my pack. I mean, so, you know, what's the most you can probably carry is 15 magazines of that. And so, you know, how much is that? That's uh, 450 rounds. Yeah. So that's your, that you know, it just... The amounts of ammo we stock is probably unrealistic if the zombies march or if the society breaks down. Yeah. But you know what? It's nice to have, and then I can keep shooting to where when this stuff is happening. But you're right, the food. And this is where, honestly, I finally convinced my wife, Bob, like after five years of we need food. We need food. We need to buy some more food. We need to do some copy canning. We need to do some extra stocking. We need to do all this stuff. And it's okay. She doesn't listen to this stuff, so I can... Say, hey, finally, I got her to come around when this stuff started. And the the stores looked a little empty. She's like, I don't know. Um," She started to worry about it because she watches the news almost constantly about this coronavirus thing. Mm -hmm. And so three weeks ago when it first hit the United States, I was like, hey, we go shopping once a week. Why don't you add some more? You know, whatever's on your shopping list for the non-perishables, just double it. And she's like, well, she bought some of it. You know how wives kind of placate you and they say, okay. And, you know. If you're a wife listening to this, your husband does the same thing. He placates you and kind of says, okay, whatever.
0: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he,
4: he halfway does what you you told him to do, right? Yeah. My wife did the same thing. And then it got a little worse and stuff started running run out. And then the following week, she goes, okay, we really need it. So she finally sat down and now she looked at her list and we actually added stuff that was non-perishable to the good list. Good for you. That's good. And then so she got more. And then I think she's going to we go shopping once a week. So she'll probably get more again this week. And then we'll, I think if we do this week, we do the double again, we'll have enough food to go 30 days on what we normally eat in our diet. So it won't be that big a deal.
0: Yeah. You know, and uh, what I meant well, by my last well, comment, what I meant by my last comment is I think one reason why we're seeing the ammo shortage, and I'm like you, I agree with you. Uh, I'm a shooter. So I want to keep shooting even during this crisis. What we have out there right now is we have the kind of people that like um, have a gun or two. And they go to the range maybe three times a year, and and they shoot four or five boxes a year. Now all of a sudden, these guys, these people who never bought more than than 150 rounds at a time, now they're going out and buying 500. And when you get hundreds of or tens of thousands of people doing that, they're taking the ammo away from those of us who are shooters. <laughs> you know.
4: Yeah. Same thing with the food. You know. The food. So same my thing. My wife buying uh, that. You know, we buy X amount of food. Every week, and then we went to the store and we bought X plus, you know, 50%. Yeah. And then we did it again. And if everybody's doing that, then that's where the food shortages come from. You know, if you understand what, just yeah. in time inventory, man, they don't stock things at your local Walmart. There is no, no stock they don't. Room. No, they don't. At your local food place, there's even less. There, there is yeah. enough room to unload the stuff out of the trucks and put it on the shelf the next week. And they have all this electronic inventory stuff. They know how many rolls of toilet paper they are going to sell this week. And they know that they're going to sell three more rolls this week than they did last week because their inventory is that perfect throughout everything. And so that's all they order in. Well, and that's all the manufacturers are making because they know what Walmart is going to order. You know, they're going to order two truckloads this month. And next month, it'll be three truckloads. And the month after that, it'll be two truckloads. So they make that's what they make. And then when everybody goes out and buys three times as much as they normally buy, you get the shortage and it just can't keep up and all the way down to the manufacturer that just doesn't have it in stock for them to make more and bring it out. I mean, mm-hmm. especially things like toilet paper. Cause I mean, who, who freaking hoards toilet paper? What the heck is going on out there? I don't understand. What do you you, said you can't eat bullets, but man, you can't, you can't, you can't eat, toilet eat toilet paper, paper. either.
2: What?
0: I guess what people are afraid of is they're afraid of a, of, a, of a mandatory 100% quarantine where you really can't leave your house for hardly any reason. And so they want to be able to make sure they can wipe themselves for the next 30 days, I guess.
4: That's what they're worried it's, about. It's totally manufactured <laughs> fear stupidity with the toilet paper thing. And, you know, I have a funny story. It's probably some idiot like me that did it. And it oh. I, it's stuff that I would do. So I, I work in the oil industry and I support three or four rigs down here in South Texas. So I have to buy toilet paper for all three rigs sometimes. <laughs> and when I do, they're going to be out there for a month. So I don't just buy two rolls and hand it to them. Cause it's, they're way in the middle of nowhere. The right. expense is driving back and forth in gas. Yeah. So when I buy them toilet paper, I buy each rig, a case of toilet paper. A case. So I, it might've been me that's got three cases of toilet paper, you know, 24 rolls each and five or six cases of paper towels, you know that are six or ten rolls each, and so my cart is overflowing with paper towels and toilet paper, with some other stuff on the bottom that I got to buy. And I go to the I go to the checkout, and it it would be somebody like me that made some stupid comment. They'd be like, you know, they are, people look at me when I buy all this stuff, and and sometimes I make stupid comments. And one of the comments I would have made if somebody asked me, you know, three weeks ago, before coronavirus got here, and they would say, why are you buying all that toilet paper and stuff? And I would have been like, coronavirus is coming. Just to be a stupid, <laughs> smart ass, you know, and then it, that person goes, Oh my gosh, <clears throat> and they run out and buy five rolls of toilet paper. And the guy next to him, Yeah, what are you doing? That's coronavirus. coronavirus. You, what do you have next? Then, what do you have next? You have a phone picture of everybody standing in line with toilet paper, and they, they tag it hashtag coronavirus <laughs> and they picture all the toilet paper being gone, and then it spreads like wildfire. So my guess is some idiot like me that made some smart ass comment for no reason at all just to be dumb because he was annoyed that day started the whole toilet paper debacle.
0: Well, and the so hand sanitizer stuff too, something. you know that. The same thing. Um
4: I saw and It's where... not too bad. At least you can use that one. And well, I mean, you can I'll, use I'll tell it, you yes. Right now. Oh, well we're still going. I guess we'll I don't know if it'll be a week and a half from now, but man, we upped our stuff. Like we have hand sanitizer sitting in the car so every time i come back to the car from anywhere if i get out of the car and come back to the car i use hand sanitizer if i go and every time we walk in the house we wash our hands i mean two simple things oh yeah yeah the house and walk back in wash your hands i mean we have a bathroom right next to the entryway door that's the first thing you do just walk in and wash your hands all of us Yep. and the hand sanitizer thing every time we get back in the car so we are actually using more hand sanitizers than usual but hey at least that we're using what (laughs) Are you going to use more toilet paper than normal? This is an upper respiratory. Like thing. I said, like people your-
0: are people are worried about an all-out quarantine to where we're we're not able to leave our houses for a long extended period of time. That's what people I think are worried about, and I think that I now I could be wrong. You know, th- this episode is not going to post till April first, so see where we are on April first. <laughs> but I don't think we're yeah. all going to be confined to our homes a hundred percent of the time. I don't think so.
4: I don't know. Me and my wife are doing a little bit of self-quarantine. I go out to work. I don't go into the gas stations as much. Yeah. You know, I don't need people coughing on me. But it's just, I mean, there are little extra precautions that are just annoying. At I understand just, that. Yeah, for sure. You know, social distancing. For you know, sure, yeah. Going to don't yep. go into the gas station. Instead, I just get gas at the pump and I leave. Right. It's super, super stupid, simple things. And, you know, but it's not that big a deal. No. Really, I'm not worried not. about it. But the, the toilet paper, I still don't understand. If you're <laughs> quarantined for a month. You know, let's use a little part this is the sheeple
0: like it is uh, it's the sheep following it's life. the sheep following the masses i mean uh, it's it the masses following the uh, the ridiculous idea that something's going to happen and they don't they don't think about it they just think okay let's go buy some toilet paper because everybody else is buying toilet paper let's just do it you
4: know, I can manufacture toilet paper in my house by other stuff. It might not be cool, but I can do it. You know,
0: yes, you can. I
4: can use <laughs> rags and wash them. That would be disgusting, but it'll work. You know, I got a bunch uh, of bills use... sitting here on my desk. That would make good toilet paper. <laughs> I, I'm I'm looking at you, looking at you. You got stacks of paper behind your on your desk for work, and. <laughs> You could use that if you had to. I mean, the bills are the best. Really. i know, love to use those for that. But, I mean, you, so you could manufacture toilet paper. It's not that big a deal. Yes, it's uncomfortable to use paper, but you know what? Darn it, it would work. Uh, I don't understand that you're buying up all the toilet paper and you yeah. uh, buy bread. You know, buy up all the bread. Well, that stuff, I live in South Texas. That stuff goes bad in a couple of weeks. It won't sit on the shelf. It's not shelf Yeah, standard. Put it in your freezer,
0: though. People are putting put it in, in their it. freezer. That's what they're doing. That's...
4: That's smart, but, you know, my, yeah. my freezer is full of meat, you know. Yeah, stuff. exactly.
0: So is mine, but, yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. So we just, I mean, when we started buying more stuff, we bought all the canned foods and the box yeah. stuff and the stuff that doesn't go bad. My wife went, oh, you know what? She bought, like, six boxes of pasta and four jars of pasta sauce. That stuff could sit on the shelf for the next 10 years. It and can. Still be edible, you know? And so let's talk
0: about that for a minute, and then we'll close because we're almost at the time limit. But um, – this is off-the-gun subject, but that's okay. Uh, I've been saying this for years, even back when I did today's survival show, I've been saying it, that you need to have at least 30 days' worth of food in your house. And when I say 30 days' worth of food, I'm not saying you got to have filet mignon, T-bone steaks, and lobster. You know, for the next 30 days, you might be eating more peanut butter sandwiches and pasta and cereal and stuff like that. But that stuff will keep for months in your pantry and you should have at least, you know, 30 days worth of that stuff. So you could at least survive if if it came to the point where you can't get to the grocery store for a month.
4: And the simplest way to do it is copy canning. The next time you go to the grocery store, whether this virus has passed or not. And you don't have 30 days worth of food in your house. Look and see, you know, and just everything that's non-perishable, buy twice of, buy double whatever right. you're gonna buy. Right. You know, if you eat pasta, whatever it is, if you eat mac and cheese, and that's you know you you do it once a week for your kids, instead of buying two boxes, buy three. One box, buy three, buy three buy, or buy, four, buy the six pack. Right. You know, or if you buy the six pack normally because you eat it three times a week, buy two six packs. It's pretty simple. Just to double your order of whatever is non-perishable, and then you'll be set. It's exactly, exactly. There, it will bump your bill a little bit at the beginning, but then after that, uh, it's just it, it, there's so many things you could do with that as long as you have enough food in the house to eat for 30 days.
0: And you got to wrap your brain around the fact that you know maybe sometimes some rice and canned corn, maybe that's your lunch. You know, instead of your normal lunch, you know, and you got to you got to eat that way for 30 to 45 days. Who cares? You're surviving. That's the that's the most important thing.
4: Yeah, it may suck, but yeah, you'll survive and then make fun of it. Um, Make fun of it. In the the Marine Corps, you used to have to eat the MREs for weeks at a time. Yeah, we trade each other stuff. We try to make different stuff out of the crap that's in there. And then we make fun Mm -hmm. of each other for eating the crap.
0: You can get creative. Just a game. You can get get real creative creative with a a can of corn and a can of beans. You can get pretty creative with that stuff.
4: (laughs) If all you have is a can of beans for the next 30 days, you're going to get creative with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and
0: I'm not talking about that extreme. You know, if you use some common sense, you're going to eat fairly well. Like I said, you might not be eating your normal diet that you love to eat every day, but you're going to be eating and surviving and making it taste relatively good, and you're going to be fine. This, too, shall pass. What do you think?
4: Yes, I, I'm going to make the prediction right now that, you know, you we're going to be around long, long enough for at least you to get to your 600th episode, if not to your 1000th episode. <laughs> this is not going to wipe us out. Like, we'll, we'll be here next month after April. And I, I had this talk with my kid this morning. It's going to be it's going to be a couple months of months. Life's going to be a little different. It and is going to be different. Normal. Yes, it is. It is. So to finish up, since you brought that
0: up, Ben, I got to say this. I got to do it. And I and I don't care what people think when I do this. Um, folks, we're going to ask you right now to, to support us. Uh, ben and I need to keep doing this. Yes, I want to get to my 600th, 600th episode. Ben wants to get to 400 or 500. We need your support. Um, you know, Join the Shooters Club. $8, $8 a month, $75 a year. Um, You know, that's that's the best way you can support us. It it takes time. It takes money. We have expenses. I know things are tight. I know we have a crisis, but can we ask you to part with eight bucks a month? Because for eight bucks a
4: month, what are they going to get, Ben? Uh, There's like 80 videos up there. There's a bunch of extra podcasts we've done. So if you're stuck in the house, it'll give you some great stuff that you can try practice and some extra great stuff that you can listen to because you can't get out. I mean there's just tons of stuff that you can watch a video and you can go practice it in your house. I didn't watch think about that. How to do it, practice it in your house. If you're stuck in your house, very good, good. very good. Learn some of your skills. Instead of going out to eat with the family, hey have dinner with the family and then everybody goes their own way. Instead of pulling out the iPad and playing some stupid game, pull out the iPad, watch a video of ours on how to do something, and then you know, unload, mixage, blah, blah, blah. Make sure you don't shoot anybody and then go practice it with your handgun and your rifle.
0: Give Bob and Ben 8 bucks a month and then sit there in your house and practice because we've got stuff on there. We have live footage from the classes that we used to teach. We have exclusive audio interviews. We have Bob and Ben on that Shooters Club actually demonstrating a lot of the techniques live with live guns uh, showing you what to do. We even have dry fire practice videos on there, all kinds of stuff, don't we?
4: Yeah, so it'll give you something to do while you're stuck at the house.
0: <laughs> yeah, good. Well, Ben, thanks, thanks for joining me, and uh, I, I, you know, what you've done for this show over the years, I can't thank you enough. And um, you know, we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be doing a whole lot more together.
4: Cool. And Bob, you're one of the greatest guys I know. So happy <laughs> 500 episodes, and man, your friendship has been one of those things I cherish in life. Uh, I <laughs> hope everybody has friends like you. It's a, it, it really is. I can't put it in words. It's just a great thing to be around.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that very much. Take care and uh, and survive, okay?
4: I'll be here.
0: Okay, very many thanks to all three of these guys. I really appreciate the time that they donated. Now, some of you listening to this show, you might be approached pretty soon by somebody who just bought a gun because a lot of new gun buyers, gun stores are are just selling out of everything like crazy and ammo. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I know you know a lot about guns and firearms and things like that. Can you show me what I'm doing? I just got this new gun. Ben and I just did a Shooters Club video on what to do and how to deal with people and what to show them, how to coach them and how to get them started in their journey of self defense. So if you're a shooters club member, you'll see that video probably shortly right about the same time actually this podcast comes out or maybe a day after this podcast comes out. And it's very very informative. I had a good time with Ben talking about how do you how do you coach, train, teach and and help out the new gun owner. Check that out shootersclubmembers.com. ShootersClubMembers.com. If you are not a Shooters Club member for $8 a month or only $75 a year, you can join. Over 80 videos. And yeah, I think you're going to enjoy that. So get signed up. ShootersClubMembers.com. Also, don't forget about my Amazon store. Many of you support this show without spending any extra money. All you have to do is when you do your shopping in Amazon, go to HandgunWorld.com first. Do that first. Go to my Amazon store and then you're going to help me out financially because I'm an Amazon affiliate. I appreciate that very much. So that's it. That's the end of the celebration here for episode 500. And Again, I thank all of you, the thousands of you that, that tune in every week and that have downloaded this show the millions, the millions of times that this show has been downloaded now. I think... 5.3 million total downloads, uh, averaging somewhere around I think 4,000 a week, five maybe 4,500 uh, every week. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the statistics in that much detail. I just I tend to look at focus only on the total downloads number, which is pretty close to 5.3 million. All right, so just a few days, episode 501 will be coming out. I'm Bob Main. This is the Handgun World Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to a practical show. Remember to shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next time.